0: Welcome to the Heavy Hole. I'm Tom. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck.
1: Hi, and I'm a permanent guest, Justin. How you doing? Welcome back, Justin. Always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Tonight we
2: have a a cool little interview lined up for you. We're going to be calling Joe Gordon from Mortal Decay.
0: Yep, uh, Joe from Mortal Decay, man. Mortal Decay's been around since 1991 from the Philly, South Jersey area. Uh, Kind of a brutal... Guttural death metal band, but um, there's more than meets the eye to Mortal Decay, man. And I think that's the reason why they have such staying power in the scene. Um, we're gonna get into uh, why why they're a little bit different than than, than these other bands out there musically, and um, and and how they achieved that sound uh, when we called Joe. So uh, with no further ado, you want to give him a ring? Yeah, let's give him a call. All right, let's do it. Hello, Joe Gordon, Mortal Decay. Yes, sir. What's up, Will? How you doing, brother? Good to hear from you. Good, good. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, this. Uh, let me introduce you to uh, my buddies. This is Tom. Hey, how are you? Good, man. How's it going? And you good. got Justin over here. How's it going, buddy? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? So we got you live, man. We appreciate you uh, taking the time. We got a lot we want to talk to you about with Mortal Decay. I'm a big fan. You know that, Joe. Um, well, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, man. Where, where did you grow up? Are you originally from Jersey?
3: Yeah, um... I was born here, and then I, I I have family out in Phoenix, too, so we, we moved out there for a few years when I was about 10, and then moved back when I was about 14.
0: Okay, and how, do, how does music come in?
3: Music comes in um, from my dad. Um, he's, he was a young guy when I was born, and I just basically grew up listening to what he grew up listening to, and then uh, it just got heavier and heavier from there, and then I started playing, and then it just took a, took on a life of its own. You picked up guitar first? Uh no, I was uh actually spinning my dad's record collection first. And then I <laughs> I finally got a guitar when I was like 13. Took lessons or Um for a couple months and then I I had a um, it was an elective in high school, so I had it I had that for like my senior year elective and then um other than that, I've been self-taught this whole time.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah, because I, I, there's probably uh, a lot of Mortal Decay fans, maybe people a little bit more uh knowledge, knowledgeable of instruments than me would want to know what kind of um Formal education you and John Hartman had in guitar, because um, a um, lot of the creative stuff going on.
3: Well, I think I think the creative stuff helps when you when you kind of like learn as you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of figure out things that you wouldn't normally figure out if you, if you had been more formally trained. Um. So sometimes it's good, and you learn a lot of things when you're when you're when you're being taught. But I guess from uh, you know trial and error, you come up with things differently.
0: Were were you in any bands before you joined Mortal Decay?
3: Uh yeah, I was in uh was in a band called um Speed Christ with a buddy of mine in high school, and uh we, we were only around for a few years and then uh I got to call to fill in on some shows for Mortal, and then they then they ended up inviting me into the band, so that that band ended.
0: And and that was after Mortal Decay had already released their uh Dawn of Misery demo and their Grizzly Aftermath demo?
3: Yeah, I came in Dawn was ninety two and Grizzly was ninety three, and then I started I started jamming with them in June of ninety four. So it's coming up on twenty five years actually.
0: Wow. Wow. Well congratulations for uh, sticking with a band and being with a band that long, man.
3: Oh, thank you, man. For sure. Yeah, yeah, man. It, I, it I, helps it helps when you can it helps when you can uh you know get along with everybody for so long too, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell tell me about it. Man, I've been in that uh, bands <laughs> myself and getting along with people and not getting along with people, it's all part of the game. Oh yeah, for sure. So, so um, going to that brutalizing creations uh, demo that was recorded at Trademark Music Studio in Brown Mills, New Jersey.
3: Well, it had changed to because um, he he had the studio, I guess, for the first two, and then um, by the time by the time they went in and did brutalizing, that he had had a setup in his house. So, basically, we recorded everything at his house from brutalizing on through a forensic. And when and you it s- was uh, you know.
0: When you say he you're uh, talking about Bill Behrens?
3: bill Bill Barron's, yes
0: yeah and I, I noticed he actually recorded uh all the material uh right up through and including forensic if I'm not mistaken yes. right
3: mm-hmm yeah he had a he had a 16 track studio that he was wor- working at for the for the first two and then um like I said he 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 had a house he had a house set up for um the other albums that we did and then on through until he stopped recording bands
0: Oh, okay, so he kind of retired, I guess, from recording?
3: Yeah, he he actually, about a year ago, sold off all of his gear and, and moved down to Brazil with his wife. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> nice. Wow, all right, man. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's crazy. <laughs> all right,
0: good luck to the guy, man. That's great. Thanks for right, the Mortal right. Decay uh, recordings he gave us, man. Wow, <laughs> Absolutely. Man. So so when when did you first get exposed to like the underground uh, uh, death metal and grindcore scene? Was it through Mortal Decay, or were you like going to shows and you found Mortal Decay?
3: Well, I... I started hearing about stuff because I, um, I I went to school with a bunch of fr- uh, friends that knew them and said, oh man, you got to you got you got to come check out these guys and you know go to some shows and stuff. And there's just a couple of clubs that were around that we that we always used to go to on the weekends uh, called uh, G Willikers and Bonnie's. and they always had like it would be Willikers on Saturday night and then Bonnie's for an afternoon show on Sunday. You know, it was like every, almost every weekend. And uh, so I had some friends that like got me into like death and obituary and stuff, and then and then you know people were like, oh, you know, if you like that stuff, you've got to check out some of these local bands like, uh, uh, vicious circle, um, mortal, of course, a couple of Philly bands like Insanity, and uh, you know, a couple of others, and and then it just became you know totally embroiled in it and and loved it. Right when right when I started getting into it,
0: I I wanted to ask you about what what uh the the local bands were. When you got into it, and were you around to see like the heyday of say uh, ripping corpse or uh, human remains?
3: Human remains, yes. And actually, we got we got to play with them a bunch of times, um, even when I was in the band before they ended up calling it quits. Um, ripping corpse, I hadn't had the opportunity to, because by the time you know, by the time I was listening to them, Eric had already left to join Morbid Angel. So. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, you know, listening to that album over the years and subsequent stuff I've I've gotten a hold of, uh, they became a big influence on me too and an awesome band for sure. They don't get the recognition they deserve.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, now with this new climate nowadays of a lot of the older material getting, uh, re, re you know, un, unearthed by the younger generation through the internet. I'm, yeah. wait, I'm waiting for that Ripping Corpse revival to happen, you know?
3: I'm hoping soon, um, but I did read somewhere that, that like I th- I think they had a feature in Decibel magazine one month last year and uh talking about how they don't have the rights to their music or anything like that so they can't mm. really reissue anything but I mean as long as people find it and you know mm. pay a decent price for it I mean it's there yeah. it's there if you find it
0: yeah, well, I you know, uh, that that that's a shame that that happened, but you're right, you know, it's it's there and it's um it's classic music. Uh now now getting Absolutely. back to to Mortal Decay, did you join around the same time as uh, if I'm saying his name right, Ron Steinhauer, the the bass player for several albums?
3: Yeah, I I came in and was jamming with them for a couple months before their band, their their bass player um uh Brandon Stockle uh left the band. So, I was in in June and then Ron came in around like late November, December of
0: ninety four. Okay. And and uh and and then the the last question I have about brutalizing well not the last question, but uh the, mm-hmm. the, the cover of brutalizing creations. What's the story behind that?
3: Um, well, that was a friend one of the friends I told you about my that I went to high school with that was telling me about all these bands to go check out. Mm-hmm. She was a high school friend of mine and actually do everybody in the band too. And uh Anthony if he wanted to go for something you know realistic as far as like you know the look and and like kind of like shock value of it and and she agreed to do it so so that was very cool to to uh, have her involved
0: yeah i i mean i have some other questions um later on regarding the like themes and lyrics and and i, I know anthony's responsible for uh, a lot of the lyrics throughout the years too it mm-hmm. seems like he likes that realistic Kind of true crime serial killer take on uh, the death metal gore thing. You guys, you guys are always kind of like a cut of, above that in the brutality thing.
3: Well, one, there was funny. I don't remember who said it, but somebody called us. I think in a review or something like that. Masterminds of true crime, and we we like took that and ran <laughs> with it. We printed it on shirts and stuff. You know, cool, very cool, very cool uh, slogan.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> man. That's great, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so do you remember? When you first heard Mortal Decay, was that the first time you heard anyone doing those thick, uh, froggy, croaky vocals like John um, was doing?
3: Yes, um, especially <laughs> live because I, I had seen him live before I heard any of the uh, any of the stuff. So and then and then like I remember um, the one guy was telling you from my old band, we we got the demo tape at a show and we went right home and like popped it in and and we when he opened uh, Grizzly Aftermath with that growl. I don't know, it was like 10, 15 seconds long, growl, something like that. We were like, holy yeah. shit, yeah. what the hell is
1: that?
3: <laughs> we hadn't heard nothing like that. I mean, obviously, the thrash guys weren't doing that, and it was, you know, and the death metal thing was just really starting. So, I mean, there were very few and far between.
0: Yeah, yeah, very, um, real, real original uh, vocalist, man. Um, and, uh, yeah, sure. And uh, so talking about brutalizing, uh, br- brutalizing creations, you guys... Uh, put that out and then what do you do you get out of state at all? Do you I do you start playing uh in, in New York and New Jersey regionally? What what goes on live after that, after that demo?
3: Um, well we, we had gone and played in uh, New York City and Long Island, you know, um basically uh bleeding hooked us up with some shows.
0: Probably at the Roxy. Um, we're we're in the same town the Roxy used to be in if you played there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I played there twice actually in, in a matter of a couple of months and um both killer shows. One was a one was a Halloween show uh, in, in October of 94, and the, the other one was at the end of November of 94. It was about four or five months before Pierce came out, and we played with them. And uh, I don't know, they played like three or four of the songs off of that at the time, and we were just like, what the fuck is going on here? Especially uh, with Bones being in the band and all, and we were like, god yeah, damn it. Yeah, yeah, classic. <laughs> they just stepped classic, it up again. How do they do that, you know?
0: Classic era for suffocation. Yeah, yeah man. man. Yeah. So and 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 so at this time too, I mean, between um, Ron being uh, the new bass player, you being the new guitarist, uh, mm-hmm. I think fans of the band who are familiar with all three demos can hear a bit of a, a shift in the songwriting and a change yeah. uh, going on. Um, would how would you explain that? Is that just you meshing in with John and writing together, or like, or or, or it's a whole different chemistry?
3: Well, the, to be honest, my my first writing credits were on um, were on Sickening. Um, okay, But, you know, it definitely was a step up, especially, especially since there was no other, I didn't, I didn't record the demo with them in the studio. So they were able to get that, that sound because he was, John was able to record both parts with the same amps and stuff. And, um, you know, just deadly atmosphere. And I, I was like, I always like that, that, that demo best out of all three
0: yeah it's it's my personal favorite too and you do notice the sound i mean any any band's uh third demo is going to have an evolution of sound from their first obviously so that's part of it too yeah so uh well you know speaking of sickening um at at some point john uh leaves and kelly izquierdo joins on vocals before the recording of of sickening erotic fanaticism right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't go ahead no no guys no, I was just gonna say, you know, respectfully, uh yeah, you know, do you wanna um just explain what happened there?
3: Yeah, sure. Um John felt it was time to to go only because he, he wanted to go to school and you know, he didn't figure he would have time for the band anymore. Um and and we we had just got contacted by Pulverizer Records about, you know, doing something on the on the strength of that brutalized creations demo. Mm-hmm. Um the guy, you know, the guy really loved it and wanted to work with us and stuff, so you know, we really wanted to get an album out. And, um, you know we probably wrote hmm, I mean, it was six old songs and then four new songs, so we had we had most of the four new songs written at the time, and we were actually playing some of that stuff out live at you know around that time, like yeah. using snippets for like intros and stuff and um then you know, John one day, I remember it was it, we were we were at Anthony's house, watching the Super Bowl. That January, and John or actually was not Super Bowl yet, it was one of the playoff games or whatever and uh John had told us that he wanted to leave, and we were like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> you know it was one of the main reasons why I wanted to join the band and getting to record with that guy finally, and then you know that he was going to be around i was I felt kind of chipped, <laughs> but yeah um yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, Kelly came in and did a killer job, and we stayed we stayed you know with him for. Probably the next next three or four years after that, in, including the Bloodlighting tour in 2000, and then up to recording uh, Forensic. He actually recorded three of the songs on Forensic, and um, we didn't end up using we didn't end up using them because we felt we felt like his his voice was a little uh, not worn out, but just you know he lived in he lived in New York and didn't get the chance to jam with us all the time, so it was kind of like you know, you gotta you, kind of wor- you gotta kind of warm up. You, you w- will as a vocalist. You know how it goes. You know what I mean. Like if you're yeah, if, if yeah. you're having a bad day in the studio, it's not gonna probably not going to get better the next day you know what I mean
0: like I can see exactly what you're talking about and um right before we do tours or recording sessions I always stress to the guys that I would appreciate if I could rehearse in the room with them as much as possible just to warm up my voice you know so yeah there's only so much you could do it at, at your house or you know in your car memorizing the lyrics and going yes yeah, so I, oh, yeah, I absolutely I, as a vocalist you're absolutely right you know you got to warm up so yeah I, I get I get it man but yeah so Kelly um, Kelly records vocals on "Sickening Erotic Fanaticism," which is you know, as yeah. as big a "Mortal Decay" fan as I am of all, of, uh, all the releases. <clears throat> that's my personal favorite album okay, of yours, cool. and and I think it's because I have a lot of nostalgic um, connection to it. Because most people my age, I'm in my uh, mid to late thirties, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. I, you know I'm not I'm not I'm not bashful about it. I'm thirty six, but anyone roughly around my <laughs> age remembers, like you mentioned, that bloodletting North America tour in two thousand. And yeah. um and people from this area also remember Castle Heights in Jackson Heights, oh, yeah. Queens, New York, uh, which was, was the, the venue best show of that tour. Yeah, that I I, thought. I I I was able to see that show at Castle Heights, and then I saw you guys at Milwaukee Metal Fest. I think a few days later. That oh, sick. In awesome, two thousand, yeah, great great memories of um, I have great memories of that tour, tour just from being a fan in the crowd at those two shows. Do you do you what memories do you have of that tour?
3: Just, um. It was boot camp, really, because it was our first real tour. Um, you know, we'd always done, like, like week things and two-week things, but we were on the road for that for, like, seven weeks. Wow. And, <laughs> well, I mean, we started... We tried to do shows on the way out to Colorado because we, we, we drove to Denver to meet with <laughs> Cephalic, and we were going to drive out to um, California together to meet up with Deez and Scourge.
0: Yeah, and, and, and um, you always want to play a show or two along the way?
3: Yeah, well... I mean, we had shows set up. One of them was in um, one of them was in Ohio. I think it was a uh, one of the something that Brian Baxter had set up. Or no, no, that was later in the tour. But we had a show in like in like Dayton or something like that. And all the fans that had already gotten done playing, and you know we were getting ready to set up and get shut down by cops so we didn't get to play that one. Um, so <laughs> there goes our one warm-up kick.
0: The cops saw your T-shirt with the masterminds of true crime.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have those shirts that, that time, too. Um, that's funny. And then we, we uh, by the time we got to Colorado, we had a chance to jump on stage to do a show with Cephalic that they were already playing, and the promoter asked us if we wanted to set up play, and, and we were like, eh, we're, you know, tired from driving and shit, so we, we kind of declined that as well. So we didn't actually play for the first I guess week or so that we were out driving around. Yikes. But you know, then we then we finally got to Cali and we uh, were able to uh, we able to get it together.
0: Wow, and um and uh you know, speaking of um the sickening erotic album, um I, we we did interview uh Kelly um a week or two ago uh and and mm-hmm. he, he gave us a quick story about that that album art for sickening erotic basically very similar story to to the the brutalizing demo that it was a friend of the band who was willing to mm-hmm. pose for uh, for like you know um home homemade art for the for the album cover that you guys made yeah uh, I'm just curious what was the response from pulverizer records to, to the artwork when you submitted it
3: I don't remember anything too negative you know what I mean because mm-hmm. it was I mean, if you wanted if you wanted albums in the stores that around that time you had to like do it yourself. You know what I mean? There was no he didn't have like distribution or whatever like that. Um, but I don't remember him being too against it. I thought I think he actually kind of loved it because <laughs> when we first seen him after that, um, when, um, I guess it was uh, I don't know one one of the Illinois shows, one of the early uh, Central Illinois Metal Fests back in like '98 or something like that or '97. Cause that's when the album came out. He did cause we didn't have them yet when we went out there. So yeah, it was 97 and he, he was there and was like real happy about like the way it's everything sounded and, you know, was looking forward to, you know, getting it out. And he, he had already had like flesh grind and dying fetus on his roster before that album came out too. So, you know, <laughs> yes. was, the things were looking good for him for a while and then, you know, the orgasms, um, when intercourse was already out and stuff, so he was psyched about you know things moving forward with us you know being involved and everything. And then, so yes, I mean that wasn't that wasn't too big of a deal for him. Although, when it came time for unique uh, unique leader to re-release it, uh, Eric um, stated to me on a few occasions that we had to do something with the cover because no nobody's going to pick it up. You know, as far as like as far as like the distribution deals and stuff that he was that he had going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not the nineties anymore.
3: (laughs) No. yeah. (laughs) So, and we were actually, before he passed away, sadly, um, going, we were talking back and forth about doing some reissue stuff. And that was one of the things we talked about was just getting a new press for sickening and, you know, trying to do something new with the cover. And even if it was drawn, you know, if, if we had a drawn version of that, it would be different than having a real photograph because, drawings, you know, as, you know, cartoony as they could be sometimes are, are definitely not as shocking as real photographs, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's what, like one of the kind of the lines they might draw, um, you know, with, if, or if things are too explicit or not, you know, I, I don't know exactly right. how to break that stuff up.
3: Right. But, I mean, it's, there was no blood or anything on the cover either.
0: It was just boobs, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's very suggestive <laughs> and, and, and it's, you know, it's funny when you say that, when you say that back, um, that pulverizer roster dying fetus, mortal yeah. decay uh, uh, um and uh uh, uh a gorgasm. gorgasm that's right i mean yeah and that and that, they were ahead of the curve too because that's what 97 98 maybe man i mean those are well, all, all three that, bands are very relevant today
3: that first that first dying fetus album was in 96 and then the um the uh gorgasm came out shortly after that and then us and fleshgrind came out in 97 and just kind of like solidified everything for them.
0: So, and so, us
3: really you know
0: so pulverizer records um ha- had a, a stacked deck what what yeah. the, the guy's name was Randy, wasn't it
3: yeah Randy Williams yeah. he's no longer with us
0: oh okay oh, so rip R- so what so what happened he ended up folding the label i remember right because that was the only the only he- album you did with him
3: yeah, that was the only one we did. Um, he died in like '99, I think, mm, and okay. he fold. He folded. He folded the label maybe like a year or so beforehand. I actually, okay. Okay. actually, uh, um, Rich Lipscomb from Fleshgrind actually picked picked a lot of that up, um, and which is what became United Guttural. You know, kind of like out of the ashes of Pulverizer.
0: Wow, I um, I remember that time period, but I never made that connection. That's interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. yeah. So, so, like, um. Rich basically just took over, and and um, we had already decided to go because Eric was talking to us about, you know, they were starting the label, and you know the these a Flesh record, Path of the Weakening was already ready, and mm. would you guys like to be on board? And we were like, hell yeah, you know. Of course, so, yeah.
0: You did the tour with them, you know.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they they really they really were into us and really wanted to work with us, you know, big time, and thought we would be a, a major asset for them. So that was you know as good as a as good as a. uh you know, um, as good a reason as any to uh, work with, especially especially with Diesel Flesh and how crazy they were.
0: Yeah, and Unique Leader was a, a movement at that point in time. It was really... Um, a- absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just br- brutal death metal was having its day, and death metal was kind of evolving from the early 90s mindset,
3: I think. Absolutely, and just getting heavier and heavier and faster and faster, and now, I mean... You know, it's it's a little bit more technical than it used to be. Like, I, I don't I don't know about a lot of the technical stuff nowadays, but you know, I don't care as long as it's brutal and has killer vocals. I'm cool with it.
0: I think nowadays it's it's spreading out in, in a a whole lot of different directions, and you can kind of mm-hmm. find a, a death metal for you. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different yeah, types. Yeah, of Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> Pick your genre. You yeah,
0: know? yeah. There's so much of it, man. You just got to stick to what you like. And so, all right, so um, so getting back now, so. Uh, Kelly has to uh, step out, um, th- and you guys are all ready to record Forensic. And your your buddy, your old buddy John, uh, is able to just kind of come back in the fold and record the vocals on Forensic.
3: He came back in and recorded eight songs because the ninth song was an instrumental. So he recorded eight songs in a weekend, just being coached line by line.
0: Mm, wow! Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's when you when you listen to it back, it's a phenomenal vocal performance. It's not just a, a you know a by the book vocal performance either. And, um, I mean, everyone's performance on that album was outstanding. For uh, uh, I said before my favorite album is Sickening Erotic Fanaticism, but f- that doesn't mm. mean I think Forensic is any slouch. That's just my personal oh, opinion. Yeah. That's but my personal favorite. Yeah, that's, mo- that's Tom's. Most, mo- yeah, <laughs> mo- most people will tell you Forensic is their favorite Mortal Decay album, um, you know, for, for especially from that time period. What was the response like then uh, when you put it out?
3: Um, the only thing the only thing I had a problem with was it should have been out way earlier than it was. I mean, we stopped, we stopped writing songs for that in 99. And then we doing the tour in 2000. And then hope, we were hoping to get into the studio after, you know, cause we, we, you know, like I said, we were ready. We played a couple of those songs live at, on that tour and, you know, we were, we were ready to come home and get to work. <clears throat> but then, um, I guess, I guess we were behind a couple of other bands that needed that, you know, that Eric needed to get out and, you know, you know, uh, labels have rosters that they have. You know, uh, time. Well, I, I guess learning from Steve Green too. Um, as far as being on Comatose, there's always there's always a schedule. You know, what I mean he has he has releases scheduled sometimes. You know, six months in advance. So it's hard to like kind of squeeze. Hard to hard to squeeze in. Even though yeah, it took us a while to do the album anyway, like studio wise.
0: Yeah, the, um, the the uh j- just to give listeners an example, the first Artificial Brain album came out almost uh, maybe maybe more like nine or ten months i can't say exactly after it was recorded i mean sometimes Mm -hmm. depending on how many how many releases are ahead of you uh the label has you know they'll sit on it for a while um just because they they have to they have other people online ahead of you that that uh have to get their shit out you know that's that's part of the game absolutely yeah and that's
3: you know that's that's probably what i what what was going on with ul at time as well
0: yeah Um, no exactly that's that's how it goes yeah
3: because we didn't actually end up getting into the studio until April of 2001, so mm-hmm. we were like, "Man, this is you know, this stuff's already old to us." And, and you were you
2: were done writing in '99, and you had to wait that long? Yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah, we were '97, '97 to to like mid '99. We had all all eight songs written. Oh
2: wow, that's crazy.
3: That yeah, I wish we wrote worked. that fast nowadays.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Sometimes you, you wish you had that problem, right? <laughs> So, what was the um, touring like? Did you did you tour a lot for for support of Forensic?
3: <clears throat> we didn't really get a chance to. Um, we did we did a, we did what we thought was enough for the time, and we had tour offers, and you know, but um, a couple of guys were in school and couldn't leave, and you know, other guys just you know didn't want to. I mean, not that they didn't want to tour, it's just they didn't want to tour with replacements. You know what I mean? Like we wanted yeah. if we were to do it, we wanted to do it with all of us. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then shortly after that, um, well, and then another guy went to school cause he became an iron worker. Um, so he had to go to school for three years for that. So that kind of like set our touring, um, our touring thing aside for a little bit, just because, you know, I mean, doing summer things is awesome, but I mean, you know, some people want to go on vacation during the summer, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely know what you mean, um, balancing my own bands. Everybody, you know, everybody's uh, got day jobs. Some people only get two weeks of vacation a year. Some people don't even get that. People have kids. Yeah. It's, it's all part of it. And, you know, you said um somebody left. In, in the period between Forensic and Cadaver Art, um. If I'm not mistaken, Anthony Apri leaves, uh, John leaves again, and your bassist Ron Mm -hmm. Steinhauer uh, all all leave before the recording of Cadaver, right?
3: Well, we had another bass player in between. Um, Ron's Ron's last show actually with us was the first Maryland Death Fest in 2003. Okay. And then um, we had another guy we were working with, and, you know, actually, John John came back uh, to do some shows and stuff with us um, probably probably like late Oh two and Oh three. Cause he, he did, he did both early Maryland death Fest with us as, as well as, um, road trips with these flesh in like Oh four through Canada and stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> so when it came time to, uh, start working on stuff for cadaver art, um, the bass player that we had after Ron, he didn't think he could handle it. And so he, he left and then, um, John ended up quitting again. um, So we basically were like, you know, we needed to find a whole new band. And plus it with Anthony leaving on top of it was like, you know, we basically had, let's see, we had from April five till the end of the album was probably, probably five months. We had all new guys and, and the album was done.
0: Cadaver art was done
3: yeah so we and then we had we actually had to write four songs with these new guys in the band you know like as we were yeah
0: yeah it's it sounds tough and i um shout out to uh the demigod ascendancy youtube channel because i did watch your interview with them uh in preparation for for this interview and research okay and i I saw you mention in that that you felt um your unique leader kind of rushed cadaver art to get you on tour in europe
3: Well, we, we wanted to do it too, because we didn't know if we were going to get another opportunity to, and so far we haven't. So it's actually a good thing we had, we got the experience to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the time it was just like, this is crazy. There's no way we're going to be able to do it. And
0: then, you know, by
3: by the time you're done recording and, and everything else, and then you, you know, you, you finally have the coffees to take with you to sell over there. And it was like, okay, well I, we did it, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) you know,
0: yeah. Kind of like a blur, right?
3: yeah totally it, it was totally a blur because um we were- we were recording at a friend's house and he has some personal stuff going on, and kind of like you know wasn't there a whole lot of the time so we basically engineered that album ourselves, learning how to do it at the t- at the same time on uh i think he had like one of the first logic programs at the time and um uh, so it was it was a good experience it just didn't come out the way we wanted it to you know we didn't want, we wanted it to sound as good, if not better than forensic and we just, you know, ended up, you know, doing it ourselves. We just knew we couldn't do that. So we we did what we did and, Eric even told us he's like dude this album is selling we don't know why it sounds like shit <laughs> but... <laughs> rest
0: in peace to Eric so, good good one Eric <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
3: he he uh, he he came up with some zingers man that was, that's uh, that's sure.
0: he calls it like it is i mean he called it like yeah, it, like totally. he called it like it was uh yeah <laughs> i i know uh yeah. I, I'm not going to say the band, but I know I know um, a, a friend who's on the label uh, got their album art rejected very flatly once. It was, it was kind of a funny story, man. But, really, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know, in, in all in all in you know, all in in good uh, spirits, man. It's all you know, it's all good, man. Yeah, um,
3: yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure after a while, like it, I'm sure he became cool with it because you know, I mean, he he um, he wanted to work with us again on our last album, but we had already signed with um, Comatose, knowing that. Um, Knowing that Eric was probably busy and the, the label, the direction of the label was going in a, in a way that we weren't, we weren't really in line with anything that he was putting out. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah, the, I, I can see the direction uh, uniquely you're taking and and the direction your well the, the the direction your band was staying. I, you know, they they were getting into a lot more of the the more modern um, death metal with the the, the yeah. different production
3: and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just nothing that we were like we were. I mean, not that we weren't into it, because a lot of the bands, actually, a lot of the a lot of the albums I bought last year were unique Leader albums. So I mean, it's not like we didn't like it. It's just we didn't feel like we fit in anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I I hear you, man, and ju- and just um uh the the end of that story, the, the uh, Eric did end up letting that band use the the album art, man. So it was just uh, okay. Yeah, man. Right, so, cool. <laughs> so it was a creative, creative difference, man. It's all good. I think I might know who you're talking about now. Though, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, man. So. When when we're off the phone, we'll chat about it, man. <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool. so um, so so uh uh Cadaver art, man. Just want to talk briefly. Um, you recruited drummer Justin DePinto. Who uh, uh-huh. it, it has played drums for Insatanity, Pyrexia, Malevolent Creation, and um, to yeah. my to my knowledge, he might still be in Waco Jesus.
3: I think them. he still is, yeah, because um, oh, yeah. I think they had something going on recently. Um, yeah, he's still he's still very much with them.
0: Um, Waco Jesus comes you- up every episode for some reason in some discussion
1: yep
3: because <laughs> <laughs> they're they're one of the sickest man yeah. you know you gotta you gotta yeah. give them props for sure they just uh, you know they've never changed their style they're nope. not they don't they don't bend for anybody man
0: yeah they they, if they they want
3: if they want a chick eating shit on their cover they're gonna do that
0: they, so they kept it real you know. man they don't care about the distribution <laughs> at all
3: <laughs> yeah
0: they're not trying to get Definitely. that best buy distribution man. Um. So, so the drums on that album. I mean, Justin is no slouch. Fans of no Mortal, fans of Mortal Decay obviously want Anthony Apri on drums. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. Uh. But Justin DePinto is no slouch. I have a newfound appreciation. I always enjoyed Cadaver Art as a death metal album, and listening to it and research for this interview uh mm-hmm. in 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 light of the whole discography when you listen to it it breaks things up a little bit and the drums almost have a very raw production to them like like uh kind of like an old school demo sound that i like uh and the vocals have a very old school like to, to not to use that term old school but they're old school there's they're not really guttural they're very throaty like the like the late 80s bands were and that was uh kevin mcclintock on vocals
3: yeah he he sang on he sang on a few songs and then we had uh anthony actually came in and sang one of those songs um Ippery, um <laughs> so anthony is on that album somewhere <laughs> yeah he yeah he he sang uh the ravenous addiction love it okay that's great man all right so and then um there was a there's the singer from supremia came in and and, and did two songs as well yes again like there was there was a little bit of vocal problems like uh Kevin had had blown his voice out and uh, he wasn't able to make a couple of the sessions. And like I, you know, like I said, we had to get shit done. So we had to call all of our buddies in to do whatever we needed them to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear, and, you, I hear and, uh, you. I hear you.
0: I, I've i <laughs> been there.
3: Justin I, actually sang one of the songs too. Oh,
0: oh okay, cool, man. See, see, that's what I like too, is because you could hear that there's different vocal tones in the album, mm-hmm. slightly different drum work, but it almost sounds like, uh, either I don't, did Anthony write the drum parts for any of those songs before he left? Um, well, he
3: we had uh, we had two songs, I, or maybe we had two songs, and then and then fragments of what was going to become the Cadaver Sculptures two parter. Okay, with written with Anthony, and actually we had and actually two songs that ended up being on the blueprint for Blood Spatter later. Um, so. Um, so there, there was his fingerprints on a couple of those songs, especially the Rabbitous addiction, which was the last song we wrote with him. What else? So basically, you know, we, we had to teach Justin how to do it part by part, you know, obviously, cause we didn't have any demos recorded at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well um, go, cause actually,
3: no, we did, we did, we had, we did, um, we had, what the fuck is the one called? Oh, I don't even remember the song titles, but we had uh, "Butcher Knife" lobotomy was one of them, and um, "Reanimate" was was the other one that we did. We actually demoed in this where we recorded the album. Um, he was actually a former guitar player in the band Brian Valenti. Uh, he had he had a studio in his house and invited us over to come help him break it in and stuff. So, so we liked how that demo came out, and you know, we didn't really put out anything. Um, with that, we just wanted to see how a couple of these things were going to sound. So basically, he, what I was getting at was, I thought maybe Justin didn't have anything really to learn from, but he had those two songs to learn from, and actually, you know, kind of like get a little bit of every style while jamming with us too. You know what I mean? So yeah, because he was able to incorporate some things that we wanted him to, and you know,
0: exactly. Yeah, but, the the drum work definitely sounds kind of informed by Anthony's style, and with the the history mm-hmm. of the band, um, you know, with respect to. To, to how how he writes drum parts and, and how things come together but but you yeah. could also tell there's there's maybe a little bit more of a straightforward um for that era modern blasting um to the oh, so- yeah. to the songwriting man and like I said Definitely. in, in, in my my opinion as a fan um that it, it it breaks up the discography in in a certain way it's got this cool raw old school effect with the vocals and and the drums i, I you know I, I do love the album man and it's interesting to hear all this about it um in in hindsight.
3: Well, thanks, man. And like, that was not really the plan to make it sound like the way it did. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to have an album that was going to sound like the year it was made in, you know, but, um, you know, it ended up being, it ended up being what it was just because of our inexperience. And, and like, like I said, you know, when we, when we were in there, uh, Brian Valenti had had a little bit of, uh, things going on and, it wasn't really there until the end when we were actually, you know, mixing and getting it ready for press. So, um,
0: and and like we talked, long... I'm sorry, no, guys, I was gonna say, like we talked about before, this was actually your first album where Bill Behrens, uh, had sold his gear and moved to Brazil with his wife, right? And and he was no well, longer recording, guys.
3: Well, he he was recording, but not we just didn't have, um, we didn't have the money to go to him this time.
0: Oh, okay, um, I hear you, I hear you, okay.
3: <clears throat> um, so basically because it was such a rush thing and he didn't have, he didn't really have any kind of like scheduling that we could agree on either. So, but basically with, with doing it at this guy, Brian Valenny's house, we were able to go every day whenever we wanted, you know, and do, do whatever we needed to do. So four or five hours a night, you know, after work or whatever, just just to get it done. It was, was not a big deal.
0: Okay. So, so you and, um, and John Hartman and Kevin McClintock, Ed Drozdowski yeah. on base. And uh, and Justin Depinto all record cadaver art with some help uh, on the vocals. Is that the lineup that went to Europe for that European tour?
3: Everyone except Kevin, because he couldn't get the time off work, he ended up not being able to do it. And then so we had the uh, Stenek Simichek from uh, Godless Truth filled in for us, and he was actually the uh, the tour manager on that tour too. So Holy luckily shit. he was already going to be there, and uh, so we were like, and he was a big Mortal fan at the time, so. So he was like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll fucking do it. Cool. So we wow. ended up doing that whole tour with him on vocals.
0: I'm a big Godless Truth fan. That's And I never uh, realized that that took place. That's amazing, man.
3: Yeah, it's awesome. It was awesome being up on stage with him, too. He's such a cool dude.
0: Wow. Never met those guys personally or anything. I was a big fan. And I remember on their third album, they kind of took a hard turn towards the more American, slammy, brutal style of death metal.
3: Right? Yeah. Well, and then that, that, and they added a little bit of techiness to it, too, because mm-hmm. they had gotten a couple of new guys, like a new guitar players and stuff. Yeah. It seems and, like uh, they just
0: modernized their whole, their whole vibe, uh, that third yeah. album. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, you could still tell it was them, but, you know, it was a little bit different, and, which I like. I, I thought it was cooler.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like I was talking about before with Cadaverar. When you're a fan of a band and you have all these albums, sometimes it's fun to hear a, a different uh, vibe, a different atmosphere on the album. Um, mm-hmm. so- Absolutely. Absolutely. So so what was the uh I mean you you obviously told us what Eric was telling you about the album but but he but he did <laughs> yeah. tell you that it was selling. So what was the what was the Mortal Decay fans telling you? What was the reception like at shows and stuff?
3: Um I mean people bought it. I mean, you know, um we sold we actually did pretty well uh, live selling copies, you know, at least 10 20 a night. So, you know.
0: Yeah, the scene loves it, man. It was you, man. pretty good. The scene's there, I mean,
3: you know. it down obviously over the over the time, but I mean you know once we ran out we never really we never really got any more mhm um but you know but yeah i mean it did, it did okay for us it, you know it actually actually got us more on more you know more us festivals and you know people were people were wanting us to come you know do their shows and stuff so we were you know we got we actually did a lot of traveling between between 06 and 08 yeah, that's what I
0: wanted to ask you. Um was between there's uh if, if I'm not mistaken is it 8 years between Cadaver Art and Blood Splattered Pathological Dysfunction's release dates roughly?
3: Yes, it was uh it was yeah cuz was like September 05 for Cadaver Art and then it was November 13 for what you call it. But all uh, but again like the lineup changes and stuff, you know, they changed they changed how we were, you know, our scheduling was going to be because we brought we brought Anthony back into the band in 2010 and all those songs were written already. You know, we we were ready to go in the studio with Justin and we were just like, you eh, know, we're kind of not feeling it right now with, <laughs> with, you know, we, we, these songs needed something else yeah, from life yeah. and, and we knew Anthony could give it to us and, that, and that's what we did. We brought Anthony back in the band and it took a little bit to rearrange a few things and, you know, and then finally we were ready. Went up to, uh, we went up to uh, Sincata's and and did it finally.
0: Yeah, and I know the band wasn't totally inactive during that um, that roughly eight years between albums because you guys did no. play festivals and things like that.
3: And that was the biggest misconception too, is that we, we were just like not doing anything, and all of a sudden here's an album, you know. hmm I, I that's the one thing like with uh with a couple of the reviewers too, like you know, oh they, they they recruited Danny and Monty from Malignancy, not knowing that Monty was in the band since 2008, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, is that um, what, what bands has Monty been in uh, before he joined you with Mortal Decay? What was he doing before you guys picked him up?
3: He he was in Polterchrist. Okay, and
0: Polterchrist is also Kevin and Ed who played on Cadaver Art, right?
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah and you yes, and, um,
0: and you did a stint in Polterchrist too, right?
3: I did, and uh, okay. I was actually hanging out with the drummer um, last Saturday. He came to my house. And we were we were you know just hanging out, spinning and and drinking beer and stuff. And he's like. He's like, yeah, we were thinking about doing a 25th anniversary show, and um, you know, wanted to see what your thoughts were about coming and jamming on them. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking do that. That's cool, awesome. <laughs> so I I might do that, with them. cool, man. Um, but you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was that was a fun time. I was probably in there for about three three years, three and a half years.
0: Something and, like that. And that so, was uh, that was just before you guys recorded um, Blood Spattered.
3: Well, yeah, I was—I was, I was uh, probably 2012 to 2015 was my stint in uh, Poulter.
0: You, you, guys, you guys, do you guys do any touring it, with that?
3: We did some shows. We did some travel shows. We played. We played um, in New York, and you know, we played up in um, in uh, like out in Western PA, like out, out in town and stuff like that. No real touring though. Just uh, just like shows here and there.
0: Yeah, regional stuff, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So totally. so um so now Anthony uh, rejoins and adds the the touch that you're looking for on the drums, the the old mortal decay mm-hmm. flavors back. Um yep. and 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 you guys, I guess you guys are getting ready to record and you and you, you don't have a singer now? You you're, you you recruit Danny Nelson in the studio or was he like playing shows with you at at some point?
3: Well, we had we had a singer and you know, from he was in the band from 08 until we let him go in in like 2012. Um He, we didn't like the lyrical direction he was trying to take it. And, you know, we were like, dude, this wasn't us really. You know what I mean? So, and and, you know, when you're, when you're in it, when you're in it and you're known for certain things, you got to do those things. You know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. What, what direction was he, um, generally trying to take things?
3: Just, just not really. I mean, he wanted to be more abstract. You know what I mean? He was a younger kid, you know, uh,
0: I think I remember you see, seeing you guys live with him um, a few times.
3: Yeah, Anthony Schrader. Yeah. He, was yeah. In, uh, he was in he was in Lethian and um, another band, uh, the Tenth Circle, before he joined us. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I mean, we got some mileage out of him. He was a good he was a good kid. Um, just you know, it was he stopped coming to practices and stuff, and it was kind of like, all right, well, you know, we, we didn't really like your lyrical direction anyway, so we're gonna just let you go.
0: Yeah, and but, with uh, and with Anthony back, then Anthony would naturally pick up the the a lot of the lyrics again, right?
3: Yeah, he actually wrote he wrote three songs um, for this one, and Danny wrote three songs, and then and then John Hartman and I actually ended up splitting the other ones. He John wrote two, and I wrote one. So basically, that's how it all evened out.
0: Cool, man. And then once you guys start performing live in support of this. Uh, like I, I remember the, I think it was the first Louisville death fest. I saw you guys perform with Kelly back on vocals.
3: Yeah. He, we asked him if, if he would want to help us out for, um, that, that club I mentioned a little while ago, the G Willikers club that Mm -hmm. we used to all go to around, you know, back in the day, um, a a guy was setting up a, a, like a kind of like a reunion, like trying to get some of the old bands together and play like it was back then. And, and we didn't have a sync, we had just let Anthony go straighter um so we didn't really have a singer at the time and i called kelly to see if he would want to come help us out you know we would just do old old songs and whatever everything he knew you know what i mean so and he agreed so that was cool um
0: yeah and then you guys recorded uh the the post anatomical uh if i'm saying this right post anatomical savagery uh track for the split seven inch Mm -hmm. with defeated sanity with kelly back on vocals right
3: yeah he he came back and and uh that was after the album though because you know he was he was we did that that reunion show with him in, tw- in 2012 and then we didn't really we didn't really talk much after that and i had, i had kind of kept it under wraps about you know um using danny for the album and then somebody had told him that danny was using the album he's like why didn't you just call me i would have done it you know what i mean like and, to, you know, he basically heard it third hand and got kind of got kind of annoyed with, you know, with the whole situation. But um Danny, Danny had offered to help. Um, knowing, knowing that we might, you know, get rid of Anthony Schrader at one point. And, you know, so he, he was like, you know, hey, man, you guys want to get this album out. You don't have anybody at the time. You know, just just let me know. I'll, I'll gladly do it. And so he did it. And it was even a different vocal style kind of for him you know what i mean like he he didn't sound like his normal normal uh danny nelson self on our album you know which was good he said he said it was good in a way because he was able to change a few things about how he actually went about singing you know what i mean so he does things differently now because he sang on the album and you know if you notice if you notice anything after that that they've done he sounds a little bit different than he always did too you know what i mean like that's still him you know you could you can still hear like the, the predator growls and all the other stuff he does, but it's a little bit more, a little bit more open now. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he uses his, yeah. he uses his, his throat a little bit more and like, can, you know, you know, I don't know I don't know the terminology for singers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you would probably, but... probably know a lot more about uh guitars than I know man, so that's all right. But uh, <laughs> I, I agree with you 100% though man. It was and again as a fan, it's really interesting to look at your discography and here's the album with Danny Nelson on vocals and then Kelly's mm-hmm. back for this one track on the split 7-inch. It just adds a lot of variety and knowing the the um the kind of personal stories uh now be, behind all this man, it just makes it that much more Interesting, and I got I got a segue for one for one second here because I I brought sure. up that um that Louisville Death Fest where uh, you uh-huh. guys performed with Kelly and Artificial Brain was there. We hung out a little bit that yeah. year. I I I I, I want to say it was maybe 2014, but I remember it was, it the, was- it, it was the less infamous year because there was an infamous Louisville Death Fest where there was rip-offs and things, but that wasn't this yeah. year that I'm talking about. But I owe it was, you
3: It was 15. Th- cuz I turned I turned 40 that weekend, so.
0: Oh, okay, man, so you remember. Yeah. So well <laughs> yeah. well then I there's two there's two reasons I owe you apologies then for that for that weekend. I didn't wish you a happy 40th birthday.
3: Oh, well it was <laughs> well My birthday was that Sunday, so deal.
0: All right, but I do. I I need to apologize to you to you, Joe Gordon, for something right here on the podcast for that for something that happened at that show. I had pulled up uh, with the artificial brain guys, and Mm -hmm. um, I step out front of the venue to get some air and take the lay of the land, like I do when I'm out of town at a venue. And alleged allegedly allegedly the artificial brain guys and myself. Uh, we're we on some of that Gorilla Glue or that like Cherry OG Kush or something. Allegedly, I don't okay, I don't okay. rec- <laughs> I can't recall, but that's what people were uh, alleging that day. So I was so I don't maybe that's why I was zoning out. I don't know. It doesn't sound like me. But you guys pulled up. Mortal Decay pulls up across the street, and you guys had like an Escalade or something.
3: We had like a, it was a, one of them. One of them. It was brand new at the time. We rented it. It was a it was a Chevy Suburban. Okay. All right. And this, um, they, let me tell you, man. This fucking thing was tricked out. It, it was like probably the most comfortable vehicle I've ever driven in on the road.
0: <laughs> it was pimped, man. Yeah. And and um, yeah. I thought it was like the owner of the venue or something pulling up, man. <laughs> but so I'm, you know, I'm kind of zoned out. It was a long drive. That's my story. I'm zoned oh, out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm zoned <laughs> out in front of the club, and I say, hey, Joe Gordon, K, okay, how you doing? I give you a handshake, and we start bullshitting, and I have a whole conversation with you as they are unloading all this gear. Out of the out of the thing and, and bringing it on the sidewalk, man. And I didn't help you with not a, a guitar pick or or a cymbal or anything. I was just yeah, you know what I mean? So and as the as the guy who's opening up for your band, man, I definitely owe you an apology, man. I should have grabbed no, something from no you, worries there, a, there,
3: man. Drums a drumstick
0: no drum or something, man, you know?
3: We <laughs> Well I'm sure Anthony would have appreciated that. So. <laughs> um mm. but yeah, no no worries, man. I mean we were we were just trying to figure out what everybody was doing with all their stuff. And, you know, we had to kind of like take it in through a different doorway. I wasn't sure, um, when you guys loaded in, which, which way you went in. But when we checked in that day, we were all the way around the other side of the building and there was like all those steps and stuff. To go up into where?
0: Oh yeah, it was. Um, it was people like people were a,
3: paying to get in and stuff. Yeah, it
0: was like a big complex, and there was like a dance club at the front of it, and a bar, and a restaurant. Yeah. It was. I I got a little lost in there myself. We wrote the yeah, album. me
3: too. I was like, I, I know I came this way before. You yeah, know, trying the, to get back out to the stage room. The album Labyrinth
0: Constellations about that venue. Actually, it's a labyrinth.
3: Is it really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but get, getting back to uh, Mortal Decay. Getting back to Mortal Decay. You guys do the split seven inch uh with Defeated Sanity. Go. Grind Records, uh, 2015. Um, I just yeah. like to say the details if anyone's listening, man. Pick that up if you could find it somewhere. It's probably on Discogs for like a hundred bucks now, right?
3: Probably something like that. We don't, they only, he only made um, he only made 500 copies of that. Um, we and we only ended up getting 50. But last <laughs> I heard, he had some because I was trying to get some off of him, and you know, he was like, "Oh no, the shipping will be too much." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs>
1: I'll,
3: I'll get rid of them over here. You know, don't just sit on them." Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think he's I think he's sitting on like fifty copies or so.
2: Yeah. So wait, if anybody yeah. listens
3: to that or listens to this and wants to know if there's any of them around, hit up Antoine at Go Grind Records. He's got some.
2: Splits <laughs> as hot as Vanguard's. <laughs> 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 so,
0: All right. So I mean, so we covered. I mean, that's 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 pretty much every Mortal Decay release so far. What do you guys have planned um, now for the future in terms of recording or releases?
3: Well, it's a little bit difficult now because. John Hartman moved up to Buffalo recently, mm-hmm. um, so I mean we're we're not we're not practicing as a unit right now, and uh, he's he's actually up working on songs on his own. I mean, which he's been doing since since he's had a computer set up at his house, you know, recording set up. And shortly after that, I got mine up and running. So um, we were able to do it the way we can um as long as we can get as long as we can get drums recorded in the studio and vocals um we can pretty much do everything else at our houses so uh, in that way it's not too bad you know there's even big bands like cannibal corpse are fucking touring living you know all areas of the country so i mean it's not it's not that difficult for us when one guy's only six hours away you know what i mean like yeah yeah i mean as far as uh show plans we've gotten offers but i don't think we can i don't think we can take any right now just because you know because we don't have the luxury to be able to to pick it up and and do like you know warm-up jams and stuff like that so um so right now we're just concentrating on writing a few songs and seeing where it goes and dep- trying to decide how we're going to release some of it because we have we have offers to do some weird things and I'm all about it. Like I want to do more seven inches and stuff and we gotta offer to do um a flexi disc from um, a label. So, you know, we want to do stuff like that. Just, cool, man. You know, yeah, fun stuff. Make shit makes more viable, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, man. And the vinyl is where it's at nowadays, if you ask me, man. It's I think nowadays Absolutely. it's more important to have a vinyl <laughs> format than um than a, a compact disc, you know?
3: Absolutely. And that's another that's another thing, getting back to like sometimes when release dates are a little bit out of the out of the normal you know what i mean because like when you when you do a dual cd and lp release i mean lp pressing takes a long time so um a lot of times they want to they want to be either right on sync with the release date or like maybe two or three weeks after so i can see how scheduling like that can get a little messed up too Mm. um so i mean so anything anything we're going to be doing coming up now is uh hopefully going to be released on vinyl as well
0: Awesome! Mm-hmm. I look forward to that, man, and um,
3: including some back Cadillac stuff.
0: Oh, that would be great too, man. Get some of those classic albums available on vinyl.
3: Absolutely, and that's I, my that's my dream.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a, a dream of mine too, as as a fan. And um, I know you said that uh, playing live has been more difficult lately, but I know wasn't it about a year ago you guys managed to play uh, direct support for Deicide at Voltage Lounge um, in Philly, two
3: thousand seventeen.
0: Jeez, um, geez, man, time flies. Yeah, because I cause I, rem- I remember wanting to get to that show.
3: Yeah, it was it was actually a good one, man. I mean, Dying Fetus had played there probably two or three weeks beforehand. Before that, and uh, they said no, there was nowhere near as many people as as there was for the D show. So we we were lucky to be on that one.
0: That's that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was DSI to influence at all? Uh, you know, when you were younger,
3: first two, first two albums, and then and then when Once Upon the Cross came out, I was like, wow, this this production is really killer. I wish the other one sounded like this, <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> Um but yeah, I mean, you know, they they, they kind of influenced us so not, well maybe not all of us, but you know well, it's, especially it's, in the drumming. I mean that that drumming on those first three albums is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. And uh, uh Yeah, Florida, man, Florida, all those Florida bands.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, you got you got Steve and you know, um and Lee Harrison from Monstrosity killing it like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, man. Who both put out really good albums last year. So You're yeah, absolutely so, you know, right. That new monstrosity
0: that new monstrosity is great, man. Spe- awesome, speaking of influential bands, man, we, I, I do want to uh, wind it down. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we wind it down... Oh, no worries. Um, I wanted to ask you about bands like Rush, Yes, King Crimson... <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. with just, just keeping in mind that that Mortal Decay kind of goes a lot of different places with the songwriting, especially when you listen to the album and you listen all the way through. You get ele- like melodic elements of like old school Swedish death metal and doom, and mm-hmm. a lot of interesting guitar and bass work, and and especially Anthony with the drum work. Are those old school progressive bands any kind of uh, influence?
3: Absolutely. I mean, you just named them all for me. Really. I mean, you know, adding Pink Floyd in there would be the only one. You know that oh, you, yeah, you yeah, missed, yeah. but um. You know, I mean I grew up on l li- and all that stuff. Like I said, my dad was a younger guy and, and he was a Rush and Yes fan and, and Genesis and, you know, um all kinds all kinds of stuff like that. King Crimson. I mean I grew up listening to all that, so of course of course it ends up somehow some way into the arrangements and one thing I could say for sure, um do you know the Rush song Xanadu? Uh
0: you caught me off guard here. I can't off the top of my head, no. None of us no. uh, okay,
3: well there's a there's a part in the song where they kind of do this this kind of like this long kind of guitar riff and drum over it and stuff. And and then like the, I, actually, I actually kind of like ripped it off and made a thing of my own for like the end of uh, Chronicles.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. So the
3: end of Chronicles is more like a, a, a more of a death metal movement sort of where I picked up from Rush that one song, <laughs> you know, right. um, Xanadu. So That's yeah, awesome. I mean, it's... And then, like some of the chords I used on those guitar parts and stuff, and some chords I used now were directly ripped from Alex (laughs) Lifeson.
0: That's great to hear, man. I I (laughs) I knew I wasn't going crazy. I knew there was some connection there, man.
3: No, Uh, no. I mean, if you if you read old interviews with me, I'll I'll I'll, it'll say it. You know, like I grew up listening to Rush and yes, Genesis, all that stuff. So
0: awesome, man. And and uh, you know, so so that's the kind of music you're into. What about? uh, books and, and movies, was there like a serial killer, the, the Hannibal Lecter movies or anything like that? Like, like, um, what, what was, was there ever a fascination with that type of media growing up that led to the lyrics and the death metal?
3: Um, I would say, yeah, more so for Anthony. Um, you know, I love, I love horror movies, but I never got that kind of inspiration from it. I got more ins- inspiration from like, um, the scores, you know what I mean? Like
0: Makes sense. Know, getting, yeah. getting
3: like riff ideas from like, you know, um, soundtracks and stuff like that so that more, that makes total sense my, yeah my way
0: yeah I'd, we'd love to get anthony on the sh- on the show uh, eventually in the future and, and pick his mind about absolutely the, i'm sure those, he would love to do it those crazy lyrics man over, over the years man mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> all right well um i, I mean uh ra- wrapping it up here man we appreciate your time uh were you able to come no up worries. with uh, thanks for having me on yeah no of course were you able to come up with um some suggestions mm-hmm. for the for the listeners
3: let me see. So, is anything new or within the last fifteen years? Yeah, new or think? an old one. Yeah, we
0: usually go with one fairly new release and one fairly old release, and we're not too um we're not too too strict on on the the, the amount of years. You know, just just some, something cool okay. that's new and something cool that's old, man. And tell tell the listeners all about it.
3: I'll tell you what. Um, my favorite album from last year was was by a band called Blood Truth from Italy.
0: Oh mm-hmm. yeah, on unique and- leader, right?
3: Yes, their their album Martyrian yeah, is fucking brutal as shit. I mean, and you know, it's it's got some techiness to it too, like with 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 what the label was putting out. But I mean, as far as like brutality, that was one of the most that was one of the most brutal records they put out in a long time. And um, I've heard that some of their some of that band's other stuff's better, but I mean, that album just blows my mind. Um,
1: the, a lot of cool stuff coming out of Italy right now.
3: Oh, Italy's crushing it right now. I mean, they have been for a while ever since you know. People started latching on to like Natron and, and you know, Vaughn with the Soul and stuff.
0: Natron, man. Yeah, that's that's Natron. a great band, man. Old school sick. band. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool guys talk- too. I've actually been I've actually become friends with a couple of those guys on Facebook, so they're really cool dudes. Uh let's see. Let's see something older.
2: Yeah, like something something old, maybe maybe something that's underappreciated to use a little glove.
3: Mm. <laughs> you know, I would say anything anything by beheaded. Especially especially everything that they put out on the Unique Leader, uh, from Ominous Bloodline onward to the last two. Beheaded. I mean they're they're definitely worth checking out and they you know, they come from a place you wouldn't even think of as far as like, you know, death metal bands coming from from Malta.
4: Malta? So like yeah. a like <laughs>
3: like a like an island of like maybe maybe five hundred thousand people, you know what I mean? Maybe a, not even that get I would away. say.
2: Yeah, it's uh, where the cruise yeah, lines yeah. go. Yeah,
3: yeah <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that and the You band? know, to, f- to find out there's death metal there is just amazing to me. Them and um, Abysmal Torment, uh, you know, they, they fucking both kill it.
0: Uh, yeah, Abysmal Torment, great band. Yeah, Beheaded, I gotta look into more because I can't, off the top of my head, I can't recall an album of theirs, man. I must have heard them at some point, but I gotta look into them. Good suggestion.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely check out Ominous Bloodline. That's probably one of my favorites from them. And even beforehand before they got on unique leader they had an album in 02 called the recounts of disembodiment which is really killer too
2: awesome awesome good to know man
3: mm-hmm, beautiful
2: awesome well joe thanks for calling in man it's great picking your brain a bit getting your side of things you know
3: yeah well I've, i definitely had a good time doing this and you know if you need anything going to pop on again anytime soon just let me know yeah absolutely, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah man
0: so Joe Gordon, Mortal Decay, man, and we're gonna keep our um, our eyes and ears peeled, man, for uh, Mortal Decay to pop back up with a new recording, maybe some cool seven inch or something collectible, and um to get back on stage too, man.
3: Uh, yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I've been I've been dying to play some shows. So <laughs> I
0: know the feeling, brother.
3: We we have the uh, the Gathering of Human Artifacts reissue coming out March twenty second. Cool. Are you guys yeah. releasing it yourselves? No, that's on Comatose. It's got a brand okay. new cover. We're, we're celebrating the twentieth anniversary of its release. So, um, so we have them already. We're just waiting for the word to start promoting it. So I figured I I could say that to you guys too, as well.
0: But just to clarify for the listeners, that's the gathering of human artifacts CD coming out, uh, reissue coming out on comatose records. And that's the demo compilation. Um, for, for any of the listeners that were listening to our conversation about your, your demos, uh, prior to the sickening erotic fanaticism album, those that that's the three demos on on that Gathering a Human Artifact CD, man. So that's yes, sir. That that's that's a, uh, a that's an artifact of um death metal history right there. So anything else you want to plug or anything you want to say to the Mortal Decay fans listening, Joe?
3: Um, just thanks for all the years of support and, and keeping up with us. I know I know we haven't uh, had the output that we that we've wanted, but you know. The, the things that, that we have put out, I mean, people seem to like, so, um, you know, we can't be, we can't, there's there's no way we could be more thankful than we are.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. And as a fan, I'm thankful to you, man. Thank you for your time tonight, Joe.
3: Thank you guys so much. It was great talking to you, and um, and uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon.
0: Absolutely. Right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. All the best, brother. I'll be in touch. Thank you, guys. Peace, man. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. Yeah man, a lot going on with Mortal Decay man. B- big uh big long history, a lot of people in, a lot of people out over time man and once it's for for me as a fan, I did a lot of research. as I told Joe going into this and I listened to like ev- I listened to every Mortal Decay release from the first demo uh right up through that that last that split 7-inch with Defeated Sanity that, um they did and everything in between. And now knowing the story that Joe just laid out for us, it, it puts such a different spin on everything, man. And it and um it adds uh, just a little bit more depth to it, man. It's 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 really great knowing a lot about a band, and I can't wait till they return live to see you know what songs they pick and what the lineup is and all that stuff too, man. It's a lot of depth.
2: So Joe was kind enough to uh, tell us some history on Mortal Decay, and yeah. uh, what's cool about that is that we also have an interview from Kelly. That he mentioned several times uh, from, from Mortal Decay as well. And we're going to play that now for you, real quick.
0: Yep. So here's uh, Kelly Izquierdo, um, former singer of Mortal Decay. <laughs> Alright, Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, and I'm here with our special guest, Kelly Izquierdo from uh, Mortal Decay. How you doing, Kelly? Doing alright, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. We're here at uh, Blackthorn in Queens. We're getting ready to watch Malignancy, man, and I ran into you. I had to get you in here to try to talk to you a little bit, man. How you been lately?
4: Uh, I've been alright. Um, actually, I, I left the band uh, two summers ago, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, just focusing on you know being an old man and uh, living life and... Uh, you know, missing it every day, but uh, it was a decision I felt I had to make, and uh, I think it was best for me to just move on from the band, Uh, did many stints with the band, and uh, wish them all the best, and, uh, you know, doing my thing, they're doing their thing, so hopefully everybody's happy, you know, and that's about it. I'm doing all right, though, I'm doing pretty good, you know, going to shows and still supporting the scene. Of course, my brother's in see always, for 20-something years. Yeah, That'll never change, you know how it goes.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I've, uh, I've seen you around uh, the last few years, um, you know, just uh, supporting the scene, man, and we're glad that you're um, taking care of business with your family and everything you got to do, man, and of course, uh, a lot of people like me remember, um, especially sickening erotic fanaticism and your work with Mortal Decay, man, that was during my formative years in the scene, so I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit. I know you were in a band called Death
4: Rune before Mortal Decay, right? Yes, yes, um, I was in a band called Death Rune uh, based out of Westchester, New York, and um, I joined the band in, uh, shit, uh, '93. Uh, so yeah, '93. I was 17, 18 years old, and uh, that's where I got my start. That's where I got my start and uh, dipped my feet into the death metal scene and playing shows and recording and just fell in love with it, you mm-hmm. know. And, and uh, didn't want to do anything else but do death metal and play shows. And it was you know, it was became my life. You know, I didn't care about jobs and I didn't care about <laughs> life and I didn't care about family as long as I was playing death metal. That's I there. know the feelings. All that mattered. But uh, yeah, I was a uh, I was a, you know, a wet behind the ears kid, you know, and uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: And then, and then a few years later, um, you, you joined Mortal Decay,
4: right? Yes, yes. Um, I joined Mortal Decay the uh, summer of 1996. Um, ironically enough, I had gotten booted out of Death Room mm-hmm. the same month that uh, John Pellini, the original vocalist of Mortal Decay, had uh, quit due to uh, some, you know, health issues or whatever. And um, I had always been friends with Mortal Decay um chris forbes and, and i don't know if guys out there would know that name we're talking metal core zine at uh, old school yeah he was actually the old manager of immolation uh-huh. and uh chris forbes had given me a stack of mortal decay demos and at that time they had a demo called brutalizing creations yeah and uh of course you know pocketed one for myself yeah and uh, mortal decay became an instant favorite of mine i mean i played that tape it was ridiculous i mean, i'm surprised they didn't uh, so I picked up the band, you know, picked up, you know, the demos, sold them on the road, and kept one for myself, got in contact with the band. And I became very close friends with Joe Gordon from Mortal Decay, and uh, we became like brothers. And like I said, long story short, I got kicked out of death room the same month that John Polini had quit Modern Joe had asked me if I wanted to try out. I went down to uh, South Jersey, where they're based out of, uh, did a tryout, did three songs, and they looked at each other and just took me in right after that. And then the rest was, you know, we just went off from that. And was Sickening Erotic Fanaticism" your first release with them? Uh, yes. Um, Sickening Erotic, they had already signed a deal with Pulverizer Records. Um, that's a label that's way defunct. Um, yeah. And uh, a guy by the name of Randy Williams, he did a, a magazine called Inner Source, uh, Inner Source Zine. Huh. And he started a label called Pul- Pulverizer Records. Yeah. He had signed more of a Cape actually before I had joined a band. And uh, so what happened was I... Joined and instantly we were working. Instantly we had to start working, um, and we recorded the record and we released that in the summer of 1997. That was my first release with the band, Um, and uh, yeah, and then we right away went on the road with uh, with that with that release.
0: Yeah, I remember um, a few years later I caught you guys on. If it wasn't the first, it was one of the first bloodletting North America tours.
4: (coughs) Yes, right, in, the, the, in, uh, it's actually the very first one, actually. In
0: 2000, mm-hmm. was it, with uh, Disgorge
4: Cali, Deeds of Flesh, uh, you guys? And Cephalic Carnage. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. Uh, that was actually the first Bloodletting tour. Uh, that was about a six-week tour of the U.S. Uh, yes, Disgorge Cali. Weeks. Six weeks, uh, Disgorge Cali, Deeds of Flesh. Uh, and speaking of Deeds of Flesh, I just want to, you know, rest in peace, Eric, Lynn, Mark, um... Of course our, our, our brother I mean that guy he lived breathed, shit and death metal and uh, that's a big loss a big loss of the scene and a uh, big loss of a friend and uh, you know rest in peace Eric Lindmark uh, the tour was great the tour went really well um, west coast east coast down south and it was uh, my first my first experience at a long tour you know I've done we would do two weeks you know we do two weeks here and there um, we went on the road in 96. Rapid Sickening Rock Finances was released. We did uh, a couple of weeks with Dead in from Chicago. Uh, but uh, North America 1 was the first, uh, my first experience at a long extensive tour and it was a lot, a lot of fun. It was all, yeah, all, yeah, six all, all weeks is no joke to be out there. It's ap- yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest, uh, first week in I just wanted to go home <laughs> and uh, after that second week hit, I didn't want to go home. I wanted, yeah, I wanted yeah. to quit my job and just, I didn't care if I lost my place i just wanted to be on the road it was a lot of fun definitely a lot of fall fun. in love with it man fall in love with you it. do you do yeah, absolutely do definitely. now uh, if like memory it. serves me correct was forensic the next release yes forensic was the next release um <clears throat> while we while we were on the road with uh with deeds uh be, before we had gone on the road with uh the of america one we had signed to you to records okay and the deal was we needed to uh get started on forensic um we were, cu- we, we were always known for, sl- you know, slacking and taking our time and, you know, we, uh, we obtained the nickname Mortal Delay, you know, <laughs> because uh, we were always fucking just behind and, okay. you know, just lackadaisical, not doing shit. Um, but anyway, Eric was pushing us, listen, when the tour's over, you guys got to get in the studio and for Forensic. Uh, all the songs for Forensic were, were uh, written, they were written uh, actually during Bloodline North America. We, we played a lot of songs off of Forensic on that tour. Um, even though most of the people in the crowd, actually all the people in the crowd were more familiar with the Sickening or Hot songs. They had no idea of the Forensic songs and they went over very, very well, actually better than the Sickening songs. And uh, we were very, we were very pumped about releasing that record. But uh, we got home and uh, it was time to, you know, there was about a two, three week uh, break after the tour and instantly, uh it a three week break, we went to the studio to record Forensic. And uh, long story short, um, I had started having some vocal issues. And um, I just could not get my voice back for some reason. I don't know if the six week tour did a toll on my, on my throat, on my vocals or whatever, but uh, I just didn't have it. Bottom line, I didn't have it, I sounded like shit. And uh, I recorded two songs for Forensic and um, the band confronted me about it, and of course, you know, egos prevail, and you know, feelings get hurt, and on my part. And the band had asked me if it was okay, if I felt all right with just taking a step back, continue to be the Morgan okay K. vocalist, but let John Polini come in, recall the record, and I jump back in. Um, as I said, you know, feelings were a little hurt, egos got the best of me and I didn't like that idea so uh, even though I had recorded those two songs for, for, for Forensic I decided to just tell them well then I think it's time for me to go so Forensic uh, on the t- and on the entire you know discography of more of the K is my favorite material mm-hmm. and uh, to this day we're talking 2019 and uh, it still hurts me to this day that I wasn't on that record. Wow. You know, But well, uh, that was the story of forensic. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I
0: appreciate you sharing that because, yeah, yeah. as a longtime fan of the band, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who was just curious about how that material came to be written and um, what part you played in it, and mm-hmm. then the story behind your your departure from the band. So we appreciate you sharing that with us.
4: And as then, much as it hurts, it's it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 a lot, it's a story that a lot of people don't know. You know. They, mm-hmm they thought that, uh, that I had nothing to do with Forensic. And, yeah. you know, when I have discussions with fans in the band about Forensic, I, I try to make it a point to tell them, hey, those songs were written way before it was actually recorded, and um, I love playing those songs. I mean, yeah, I remember you... seeing some songs from
0: Forensic being performed live before the album. Yes,
4: yes, yeah. and uh, you, know, you can play them live, you know, every day. It doesn't matter. If you're not on the record, it's, you're not a part of it. So that's how I felt. I always felt that I was not a part of that release, and unfortunately, you know, feeling a part, feeling that I wasn't part of a release that happened to be my favorite of, of everything that we ever done, was uh was a hard pill to swallow. You know what I mean? It took me a long time to deal with that, but you, know, you get over things, and you know, you move on. You move on. You still yeah. listen to it and you yeah. love it, but you wish it was your voice on that record. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of um, your you're leaving uh, Mortal Decay. You also came back. I, I don't know when exactly you, you did come and go through the years, wow. but I, I, you, yeah, you know. were in and out a few <laughs> times, right? Um, from
4: 1996 to 2017, I had had um, four stints with the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a lot of broken up time and a lot of stints that happened with band. You know, it, it shows that you have a bro- you keep a brotherhood with with, with guys and you've shared so much time with and done so much work with and but it, it you know it, it also shows that sometimes you know things don't mix and things don't mesh well and uh, um, I, it was mainly me you know um, I, it was my decision to always leave and move on and after getting over situations and getting over the reasons why I would leave the band you know and we would get back on talking terms and being friendly with each other you know you jump up on stage and do backing vocals with them on a, you know one of their shows and it just feels good they could have whatever vocalist they have but they say hey kelly come up and you know do this song or do this verse or whatever and you jump up on stage and you do it and it just it's like old times man it's just like old times again and, and you, you, you get that rush and um you know one person reaches out to another and say hey listen why don't you just you join? so um yeah i've had four stints of the bands and um it's it's pretty crazy because not a, lot of, you know, not a lot of guys jump in and out of a band four different times yeah, yeah. well it's
0: underground death metal and you got a passion for it right you know, Yeah. Right? like you said yeah. there's a brotherhood component where you know sometimes you might get in a disagreement with someone or a clash and you can you can come back a while <laughs> later and and um still make music with that person man. yes
4: yes you know it, it, when you when you share so much time with somebody and you know the way they work and what makes them tick and you know where they're coming from and, you know, everybody's, going, everybody's on the same page, you know, you always, you always wind up going back to them. It's like that ex-girlfriend, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that ex-girlfriend, was just, yeah. she was just, you know, the one, you know, she was a pain in the ass, but the sack, she was great. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. always go back to her for a little while, and then you leave again. And you wind up going back. So that was, uh, that was my situation with Waltham K. It was just uh, leaving because you couldn't take it anymore, and then, you know, you come back because, you know, for one reason or another, they miss you, you miss them, and you just go back, come call them back, and start working again. You know, start yeah. doing, start doing work. Yeah, exactly.
0: Kelly, man, I want to be respectful of your time, so I just want to uh, follow up with one one quick. I got question.
4: nothing but time right now, bro. So it's all good. <laughs> My uh.
0: My personal favorite Mortal Decay album is uh, Sickening Erotic Fanaticism. And uh, and a lot of people's uh, favorite, that's like the iconic
4: album. Is it it only because of the cover? Oh man, (laughs) you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. I
0: just wanted to ask, uh, from your memory and your perspective,
4: what's the story behind that album cover and the young lady on it? Okay, um, I, I won't give last names, but her first name is Sandy. Um, the original idea was we, we, we had thrown around some ideas for the cover and we initially were gonna have Anywhere from like two two to four strippers that were actually gonna do it. we were gonna do like a little scene like a little bondage uh, like um, You know, like an abduction scene, you know, and uh, Anthony Ipri uh, more became drummer. Uh, he was dating Sandy and uh, She got wind of it you know, we told her the idea, what we were doing, and you know, in in a in a nice way, in a friendly way. She said, "No, fuck that. You guys aren't doing that." No, 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 no. And, and we thought it was a jealousy thing. And oh boy, jealous girlfriend doesn't want four strippers, and you know, taking pictures of these girls, mm-hmm. whatever like that. So she took it. You know, she 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 one upped it, and she was like, "I'll do the cover." What do you mean you'll do the cover? I'll do the cover. Don't get no strippers. Don't get no skanks. And then I'll do it. So um. Obviously, you know, we broke it down to, you know, multiple girls to just her. Because, um, let me backtrack a little bit, the cover of the uh, Brutalizing Creations demo was a um, topless woman, topless blonde girl being strangled. And um, the arms that are strangling her are Anthony Ippri's arms. And <laughs> it was actually a friend of theirs, and they got her to go topless, and they strangled her and made a picture out of it, you know, and made a demo cover. So they want, you know, we wanted to go with the same theme. So Sandy had gotten wind of the stripper right idea, she didn't like it, and she said, don't worry guys, I'll So one day, uh, we just, um, uh, the, the photo was taken, Anthony had a um, a tool shed in his basement, you know, like a little uh space, not a crawl space, but uh, you go into his finished basement, you walk into this door, and it was just like a dingy, dark, scary, tool, rust, dust, infested room where it would be the ideal place to, uh, you know, Keep a girl captive for a few weeks. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so uh, Sandy, you know, being the sport that she was, she stripped down, you know, head to toe, and uh, we took... This was back when we had to like develop films, so it was pretty crazy to <laughs> the film. Developed. This is back before digital cameras, and you had to go to Photomat. You guys took it to, to Walgreens, or yeah, 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 or yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah, they that, had back exactly, then. Exactly, exactly. Like, don't look at these pictures. It's just develop them, please. Look, the FBI didn't knock on your door. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, we had a we had an issue with releasing that record. The release of the record was uh, there was a couple of months delay releasing that record because of the cover. Yeah. But um, as the question, you know, to answer your question, uh, Sandy was a sport. Oh. And uh, it was Anthony's girlfriend at the time. And um, yeah, we taped up her mouth, we chained her up to a pipe, and we took about two rolls of film. And it was pretty fun, it was a lot of fun uh, deciding which picture to to, uh, put on the cover. You know, just two rolls of of Naked Sandy and looking at her and this one looks good, this one looks good, and we decided on the uh, the one photo and uh, that was it. And uh, we took her, actually, uh, we took her to a couple of shows of ours and she'd do our merch or whatever. And uh, it almost—it was like a little mini riot, you know. Guys would line up to get her autograph. And she signed wow. the record cover, and wow, okay. and uh, she, she 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 ate it up. She was she was a very good sport. Really cool, really really cool girl.
0: Wow, yeah, that, yeah. that's that's really uh, that's a great story. <laughs> having, <laughs> yeah. having known that album, and <laughs> and I mean, it kind of speaks to uh, just before we were talking to Danny and Ron. About relationships and uh, those you know, are my brothers. Ad, ad, those are my brothers. Advice for the younger guys meeting girls and stuff. And uh, you know, yeah, you, you wait. You wait for the girl that's going to pose for your your death metal band's album cover. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know that that's that's.
4: Now, is that the kind of girl you 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 bring home to mama, or <laughs> is that the girl that you you know you cut loose because she's such a you know loose goose and you know putting you know CD covers out with her naked body. You know, I don't know if you could trust that kind of girl, but uh you know, to, 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 to defend Sandy, she seemed like a very nice girl. I don't know where she is today, but. uh you know, I hope she's, I hope she's doing well, but she's definitely a, uh, she's definitely a little bit of a, a, an icon in the death metal scene with that cover, you know, people always talk about that cover, sometimes more than the songs. <laughs> Infamy. <All laughs> yeah, right. yeah, they remember, the, they remember the cover, but they don't remember this track listing.
0: Well, I always remember <laughs> opening the graves. Yes, the yes, song, yes, right? yes, yes. The old demo song. Yeah, well, uh, Kelly, we really appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time and jumping in the heavy hole podcast tonight, man, and, um. Good luck with uh, you know your future endeavors, man. We wish you the best in 2019 for your job and your family and anything else you want. I, I really appreciate it,
4: guys, man. It's always, it always feels good to talk to you know admirers of the band and and, and it just it, it just feeds the you know it feeds the fire even more so. You know it just it's good. I'll, I'll you know I could do this to the day I die. No matter if I play tomorrow, if I never play again, I'll always. I uh, always feel good reaching out to, to the guys, and, you know, the fans and people who love the music and enjoy the scene and I'm always here. Like I said, brother, the time is more that's all I have right now. Huh. So uh, I really appreciate the interview and, and it feels really good. You know, it's good to do it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers Kelly. Kelly from Mortal Decay, everybody. Salute. <laughs>
2: All right, that was our interview with Kelly from Mortal Decay.
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Mortal Decay um lore and knowledge getting dropped today, man. That that's uh, part one of our Mortal Decay special, man, and hopefully we get the uh, other members of Mortal Decay on the Heavy Hole podcast in the future for uh, more editions of that and uh more 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 of
2: that information from behind the scenes and the history of Mortal Decay. Both dudes total gentlemen. Really yeah. really uh, enjoyed listening to them speak and, you know, just just normal dudes, you know. Nice. Death Metal's covered in normal dudes. Well, serial killers um, often just look like normal dudes, too,
0: so you never know. That's true. <laughs> Mastermind's a true crime, like Joe said. All right, let's get into some albums. Yeah, man. I can't wait to recommend mine to you guys.
1: Looking forward to that.
0: All right, new stuff.
2: Let's hit it up. Justin, what you got?
1: Sure. All right, let's, uh, let's go with uh, this band, Unbirth. Unbirth. The album, Forged Columns of Deceit. And if you could find the title track, I'd say throw that one on.
0: I know a lot of births in the death metal industry, but unbirth, I'm not familiar with. you got your anal births, your afterbirths, your rebirths.
1: So, uh, unbirth, apparently, is uh, this... The, the name is, is, uh, is a sexual fetish of uh, wanting to be eaten by a vagina. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, like reverse vore. Like, yeah, to, yeah, or to be unbirthed. You know, to get get back in there. You know hmm. what I'm saying? Get in there. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, unbirth from Madonna, Italy... The okay. album Flesh Forge Columns of the We're listening to the title track right now, uh, released June 2018 on New Standard Elite Records. Okay. Love that
0: record label's name. The New Standard. Yeah, New Standard Elite. The, the Elite. Yeah. Very, man. very nice. So I... feel like I'm buying insurance, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm digging this band a lot, man. I mean, they, they come from uh, your suffocation style of, of death metal. Mm-hmm. But I hear a lot of, like... Severed Savior in here this track particularly a lot of old old decapitated little decrepit you know in, uh, in the hookiness I feel like
0: yeah yeah the guitars have a lot of balls man I, I really like it man the clarity is, is there in the production too I like that a lot really brutal shit I, I know what you're going after with the suffocation reference too man
1: for sure like, really you know, cool the, shit they have those uh, those little beat down parts kind of scattered throughout but uh, I found myself humming the riffs you know afterwards I like that kind of catchiness that they do uh Another thing I love about this record is it it might be standard tuning. New standard elite really? tuning. Really? <laughs> New standard E elite tuning. <laughs> My favorite, I'm a big uh, big proponent of that, you know. It lets, always lets that bass cut through a little bit, you know.
2: I think uh, one thing death metal bands tend to overlook is that the guitar is designed to be in that tuning for a reason. Back from when, like, old blues players used to play, even some of them used to drop, but it, it kind of worked against them, you know? For sure. Yeah, so like ha- having just a standard tuning and writing heavy riffs, it's, uh, it's totally overlooked. Let's just hope that they are actually in standard tuning and the ears are not uh, But And we, I, mean, I want like to do an episode on this. On tuning? Standard tuning specifically. I'm all in about Metal. it.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll learn a lot because I don't know much. Um, you know, this is getting into that area where I leave it to other people uh, more experienced and knowledgeable than myself. In terms of guitars, man. So that would be a good that would be a good episode, man. Maybe pick some people's brains about this new standard elite tuning that that's out there. That's
1: right, and uh, yeah. So, unbirth from uh, from Italy, you know, just, just Genoa salami and all over the place over here, and flesh forged columns of uh, Genoa salami, man. That's right, just you know, just just great, brutal, techie, punishing death metal, and I'd love to uh, let some of these riffs speak for himself right now.
0: relatively new pick is Sulfuris from Denmark with their album Dolores Death Nell uh, out in 2018 on Dark Descent Records. Dark Descent put out a, a lot of really good kind of atmospheric, dark death metal inspired maybe by bands like Immolation and Incantation. A lot of people very familiar with Dark Descent in the scene right now. They're putting out great stuff. And this Soul Furus, um from Denmark, man, I really love them because they... I guess you could say they're they're kind of like are associated with some of those bands with that atmosphere and those type of riffs, but they have a clarity to the music and, and riffs and the production, man, and it and it gives it this rich atmosphere because you can understand all the all the notes and everything that's going on. They they do use dissonance, but they don't get drowned and lost in dissonance as as has become uh, a technique uh, in, in a lot of bands. You know, in the modern era, man. So I really like that. It's the clear production of raw elements, and um, it's it's like hand washed rocks. You know what I mean? It's it's just clear and it's it's you know what I mean? It's That's, raw, it's primal, but it's it's so clear and and, and nice. You know,
2: <laughs> hand washed rocks, man. Hand
0: washed rocks. They've been
1: in a tumbler and yeah, yeah. shining them up. It I think the- uh, I think we
2: got that, a heavy hole shirt on the way that says hand washed rocks. rocks. That's right. yeah. Yeah. they're
1: clean but they hurt when you get hit with them yes
0: (laughs) I mean these guys they got that driving old school kind of death metal rhythm going on the drummer's not flashy but he is impressive and he's got everything in the pocket when he wants it man you know very important Yeah, and and, uh, they finesse that old-school, dark, slow, finish sounding doom uh, slowdown. You know, they they bring it back every once in a while to a real old-school, doomy lurch, and then they come back with the death metal, and and it's it's great shit, man. Really good album, and uh, if you're not familiar with Dark Descent Records, you should probably just get on that, because they got a lot of shit to peruse. So furious, And it's not Dolores Like an old lady named Dolores I was gonna I was say that. Yeah No, no, no it's, What does Dolores mean? Yeah, was How is lots of ball soup? O-R-O-U-S uh, uh, Dolores death knell So I guess that's a word to describe this death knell this, this death knell itself has become or was always
2: Dolores I don't know what that means though Yeah, Dolores. Five Dolores death knell. Yeah,
0: five. (laughs) Let's Google that real quick, man, because I feel like I should have looked this up before. (laughs) I was taking all these notes on Mortal Decay, and I forgot to learn
2: a new word today. Let's learn a new word. We're going to learn one together here on the Heavy Hole.
1: Dolores. She lives in Bayside on the fourth floor of the Terrace. Yeah. Yeah, Dolores.
2: She works a stop and
0: shop in Bayshore. No, Dolores. Dolores. Feeling or expressing great sorrow or distress, as a death knell should.
1: Sad death knell.
0: Yeah, it's All a right. sad, de- sad death knell.
2: Based on that description, I would. I'm kind of surprised this word isn't popping up in death metal more often. It's no small feat to use a word in death metal that has not been used before. So oh. y- you're right. There's a certain thing that happens in death metal where a lot of the same words just kind of keep coming up. And, you same, know,
0: yeah, same band names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Usually, the more syllables, the better. Yes. yes, we're being modest with three. Dolores, <laughs> <laughs> it dark. works though; it still works. Yeah, Dolores, very good. I like the design of this uh, this, this album cover, this la- uh, this logo. I think it's yeah. kind of working. Yeah,
0: everything's just dark and atmospheric. They got the little King Diamond thing at the bottom of the logo. Yeah, they're doing it, man. Furious from Denmark on Dark Descent Records. People, thank you. Mass death,
1: mass. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah.
2: new album I brought in a band called defacement
0: defacement that yeah. album cover almost looks a lot like that sulfurus album cover
2: very similar and I'm gonna chalk them up to uh let's say it would be a good tour package
0: people it would, it would <laughs> yeah they, they have similar geography
2: great, great yeah, art on show, their album covers great gallery opening great mm-hmm. tour package and mount- everyone likes mountains A like. uh, little cave in there oh, yeah. So a little fleshy looking There's some eyes hiding back there And this mm-hmm. is their album, album Deviant Released January 12th, 2019 So very fresh mm. And this is an unsigned band From Utrecht Netherlands Fantastic mm, Okay. Some nice atmospheric death metal I gotta say And this band is made up from another black metal project Called Death Crush Which, uh, you know, not the most original name there I checked that out, it's kind of standard black metal, I I got nothing bad to say about it, but this project, they shifted gears and they they took a death metal route, and it's real beautiful and it starts with this excellent washing, wavering guitar intro. We're hearing that now, I'm gonna Mm -hmm. skip to the next song so we can get a better taste. second track what we're gonna taste it's kind of like uh it's called deformed and it just it kicks in like a a depressive black hole yeah it 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 really does that like kind of you know i'm i'm using a reference and i i gotta stop doing this but like it kind of reminds me of the portal stuff but easier to follow Um, yeah
0: you know what i was talking before about bands that kind of wash out in the dissonance to the point where you can it's, it's almost difficult to hear all, all the parts of the riff and stuff. That's something Portal almost uses as, uh, as, as technique, you know, so I'm not faulting it. But um, I, I do like when you can hear all the, all the notes in the riff, you know.
2: Yeah, and, uh, at times, you really can. They pick and choose when that washiness comes in. Yeah. Mm. It's punishing and mesmerizing at the same time. This nice. album really pulls that off.
0: I definitely hear a lot of black metal here, um, but maybe not with the traditional black metal production, maybe more of a, a guitar-driven death metal production.
4: Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, the drums are in your face, but they're also not that big in a way. Yeah. Like, they have yeah. that punch, and it's real nice. The snare is tuned wonderfully. It's like a Ford GT. It mm-hmm. is just flying. It, there's something about that tone, that secondary tone that's not just the, the cutting, cr- cr- uh, class B sounding that's part sounds natural yes you know? exactly it's it's just a beautiful like drum engineering feat this album mm. and the guitars and bass and vocals they kind of they, those kind of uh, blend together depending on what they're trying to do at certain points of the album where it'll it'll be very distinctly what's happening and they'll avoid the washiness like I said but then it kind of they bring it back home and then you can hear parts of the album really clearly and I I, I really dig this. I think this is pretty cool, man. Yeah, um, I, I like uh, uh, the guitars, just sound so kind
0: of cutting and jagged and, and visceral, you know? It's, it's got a lot of
1: aggression
2: and atmosphere to it. Cool stuff. Yeah. Check this shit out
1: DeFacement, the album Deviant. Like gusting, dirty winds right now. It's uh, fantastic.
0: Machine. Listen to some old stuff. What do you got, Jay?
1: It's <sighs> the winds of time taking us back.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tom, you know, uh, I need you to put on that motherfucking black page right now. Kick it. So, uh, my classic uh, is from way back 2005. All right. Bay Area, oh death, oh grind, crash, powerhouse, animosity. Their record, Empires, black market activity,
2: which is the subsidiary of, um, of metal, Blade, metal Blade, started there.
1: by Guy Kazwaski from uh, the, the Red Cord. So, uh, what really turns me on is uh, that and yeah. just your, the, the the effortless blend of death metal and hardcore. Um, they do it so well, man. This, yeah, this this. This band, like, kept the tradition of, uh, of 90s, like, Bay Area thrash and that early, like, tech death, like, kind of going into the 2000s for, for, for a bunch of shit-kicking kids, like, partying at a house, man, and, uh... And these guys can play. You get, like, origin vibes, you get, you know, obituary vibes, you get, like, buried inside sort of vibes, and uh, mm. little carcass kind of... They actually recorded this album in Boston, so you're gonna... You're gonna get some of that red cord seeping in, especially with Guy. Oh yeah,
0: this is awesome, man! And uh, for the listeners, we're watching the Animosity uh, their song "The Black Page" official video. Uh, it's I wish I was there at this party. They're just, they're playing in somebody's house in the living room. There's there's a party. They're 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 jumping all over the place. They're they're jumping on each other. They're a bunch of young guys. They got the hats crooked. They got the flip phones out. You know what I mean, man? They're, <laughs> mm-hmm. They're young guys from the early two thousands. They don't give a fuck. It's it's just it's a lot of fun, man. But musically speaking, yeah, this is um to me it kind of speaks out to, to like before deathcore, metalcore, mm-hmm. whatever you call that stuff. Took a dive for me uh, into territories I didn't want to follow. It, man. Um, very natural, very. very Organic, like you say, the hardcore energy is there and it's not contrived, it's not manufactured. It just seems like some kids that, that grew up and, and had the death metal chops, but are they're keeping it real, man. These guy's got the sweatband on his arm. Dude,
1: he, you yeah. this, ba- this band yeah. to me is drums. Uh, Naveen Kopraweis as a drummer put your grills in. Wait a minute, Chaos. okay. <laughs> oh, i see this man <laughs> No, hold
0: on, uh, we need to replay that footage <laughs> because what's the band? Epicardiectomy? From Europe, and mm. homeboy, the drummer, he's got the grill, and he's known for that. I think these guys preceded that by, what, 15 years here? These guys might be the first recorded instance of using grills in slam-based metal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they do it well. Animosity <laughs> from where? Where's
1: Animosity from? Animosity is uh, Bay Area, California. Animosity from the Bay
0: Area, California, po- quite possibly first use of grills. <laughs> in in uh, in extreme music,
1: man! Wow. Uh, rest in peace. Dude. I miss this band more than anything. Uh, this is just, yeah. Like it I said, Naveen Koperweiss, just drums. And uh, Naveen Koperweiss, if you
2: if you're not familiar, he also played in Animals as Leaders for a while, and now he and he plays in Entheos now. He
1: plays he played in Entheos. Who's, uh, who's he, that? He played in N- Fleshrot with a uh, with a uh, Johnny da- uh, Johnny Davey Johnny from, Davey from, from the Job. Yeah. the
2: the drummer Naveen Koperweiss. Is that Naveen? Yeah. yeah. No. He's a little baby boy. Little baby boy. Oh, my
0: God. Artificial Brain uh, had the privilege of opening for Entheos on a tour a few Hell years yeah. ago, man. Very nice people, man. And Naveen's a great guy. This Very good guy. This video could not get more fun for me if, if unless you just told me that that was a dude I know. Naveen, he just broke a string. <laughs> <laughs> this so They were tossing a unicycle around. I don't know if you guys caught that. This is Naveen from Entheos now. That's That's great. He's uh, so young. He has a lot better hair now. Got, yes. His hair game is on point. Now they had a T-shirt that said "Free Project Pat." This so, is like, <laughs> I love this because these guys are obviously around my age. When I was in my early twenties, man, I, I wish I saw this video. How did I miss it? I was too into the guttural stuff at that point. It's, man. it's great, man!
1: Uh, wow. Chase, uh, we can put on another song. I can talk about this band all fucking day. Yeah, uh, put on the song "Thieves." Okay, uh, man. Ch- uh, Chase, uh, the guitar player with the glasses, we just saw over there. He uh, he had a, a pretty good run in *Decrepit Earth*, uh, playing for them. Okay. Yes, uh, and I'm also
2: a I, lot. and also *Son of Aurelius*, I Son believe, of Aurelius? which is yeah. Uh, yeah, great band from the same area that put out one solid album, and then they did something proggy that I personally didn't work for mm-hmm. me, but then they kind of disappeared. Uh, but yeah, that first *Son of Aurelius* album is kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like an animosity meets a a more melodic death metal kind of thing but they do it so well but back to animosity like I'm saying this band is heavy you hear influence like these are young dudes who are probably listening to bands like Malignancy Mm -hmm. and getting inspiration for their rhythms and shit and and then doing the doing the hardcore thing like we said
1: just Oh man, yeah. this band is—they've they, uh, never done anything wrong. No, nothing, and you know it's got the grind aspect too, without being like noisy. You know, it, it's grind in the sense of and uh, like song structure almost. You know, you, you got you got riff after riff after riff, but it's but it's, it's death metal riffs. You know, what I mean?
2: yeah,
0: this, this is cool shit, man. I gotta um, I gotta try to reach out to that dude Naveen, see if he remembers who I am, see if we get him on the show sometime, man. I'd love yeah, to have dude, him on the yeah. show.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, also, the album artwork is fantastic for this um, too.
1: Paul Romano.
2: Oh, I from, uh, he, he did the early Mastodon stuff, early too. Mastodon stuff. Any relation to Ray Romano?
1: I think ah! they, I think they're brothers. Yeah, uh, I think they're direct on. brothers. Yeah. Come on, I'm sorry. We're on Long Island. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're from Long Island. Is? All, right, All right, man. Animosity,
1: man. I, I learned a lot just now. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 hey, man. Uh, Evan Brewer, play, I don't know if he played bass on this record. played bass definitely on, on the next one. Very skilled bass player. Yeah, Evan, uh, Evan Brewer, also he, from he did. It. Evan Brewer is great, man. He did a... Mm-hmm. Uh, did a run in the faceless. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Played for a life once lost for a little bit. I actually played just... terror for a little bit, which is pretty exciting.
2: That is sick. And also, I just heard today that Evan Brewer just quit Entheos. Like, just Evan a few Brewer, hours ago uh, from when we're recording Oh, this. fantastic. The, the bass formerly of Entheos? Formerly of Entheos, okay. yeah. he was. Yeah, he played in Animosity. Just killer bass player. I don't know what's going on there. It doesn't matter because we're talking about Animosity. Bigger and better things. Yeah, we'll figure it out, man. We're in the past right now. Yeah. yeah. took it as far back as it can go yes this is actually technically before death metal we got (laughs) we got possessed first demo (laughs) which is called death metal before death metal was considered a thing a lot of people call this the beginning yep uh well they did end up recording a couple of these songs from this demo on their album seven churches which Mm -hmm. i think we're talking about the last episode will how this and Scream Bloody Gore are considered to be the two first death metal albums. I'm not gonna pick sides; it doesn't matter because it's all here. People go back
0: and forth. They say Possessed had it uh, chronologically, and then people say Death had it stylistically. I'm not like you said; it's not the job of the heavy hole to pick sides just to uh, try, try to educate and, and uh, discuss, man. So yeah, th- this is this is really cool shit, man. I went through a phase uh, last year. I had broken my foot and I was off of work for several weeks. And I was, like, rediscovering all of my old school shit. And I went back to possess Seven Churches. I went back to Spiritual Healing. I went back to Leprosy. And I went back to, like, a lot of old Sepultura and just a lot of the roots of this shit, man. And, you know, you, you forget sometimes um, the, the production values and, the you know, the, the limitations people had just because producers and recording studios weren't familiar with this style of music. Oh, yeah. You know, it
2: and this being their first release um, The lineup at the time is very different From the Possessed we have now um, And it doesn't have Larry Lavanda Who's on Who's on Seven Churches Who later went on to Primus fame But uh, the, the lineup was Jeff Becerra Who's still their vocalist but he was playing bass and vocals And then Mike Tarau on guitar Who was in, in the band till I believe 2012 And he's also known for my iconoclast and blitz, Blitzkrieg and two other guys i really don't know too well we got brian montana and mike Suss. good stuff they're doing favors um the album came out a year before seven churches did uh jeff becerra's vocal performance isn't exactly lined up yet with what he's known for i guess what you could say uh you know beyond the gates the seven churches thing but he's got so much energy man it's upping what Metallica was doing in a way Not not to say that they're any better than Metallica Or, you know, that's not the argument But just the intensity Just that raw shit And considering this came out when it did The production's okay And it's kind of advanced in a lot of ways What year is this? This is 84 mm-hmm. They did a really good job for just a few kids Throwing this shit together Yeah,
0: uh, absolutely I, I've, I've heard way sketchier demos that were recorded
2: Years after this when technology was better Yeah and like, keep in mind, we're listening to a bunch of teenagers right now, yeah, and they're yeah. contributing so much to the to the death metal we know it today.
1: I mean, it has that it has that show no mercy like uh, like air to it, you know, which I guess came out a year before this uh, Slayer, building off of that. Yeah, um, uh, and even taking Slayer a little more extreme. You know, is, it's it's yeah. really
0: interesting to listen to stuff from this era when metal was like metamorphosizing from thrash into death metal and and black metal, you know, and trying to figure out was it. The vocals got a little more barky. The tempos got amped up. But what was it? You know what I mean. You, you just you, you listen. You listen to the. Nowadays, you listen to a band like Devourment or Mortal Decay, and you know you can compare that to Slayer, and you see the clearly defined uh, difference. Yeah, know,
2: but, right here is. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a hard uh, discernation to come <laughs> up with. You know, like where where where's the line here and. Truth of the matter is, it's
1: not a line. It's just progress. It's where the road started forking, though. You know, it's about where they went from this. You know, and then...
0: this this is the this is the first step on the road to anal birth. Yeah, everybody just trying to, just the one-upsmanship of brutality in in every aspect, you know, from the artwork uh, down to the song titles and the the
2: vocal, everything, you know. And then eventually you just get noise (laughs) Yeah. 30 years later. It's getting there, farts and noises, man. Yeah, man. But, yeah, this is great stuff. Um, This kind of appeals to the older thrash crowd because of the tie-in and also like a punk audience in a way. You know, Mm -hmm. this sounds like heavier punk now in a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm fine with
0: that, you Mm -hmm. know. I, I didn't get into stuff like this when I was younger. When I was a teenager in the '90s, it was uh, all about the early '90s death metal. It was full-on death metal, and the stuff that had more of a thrash influence to it. I didn't get into like Sepultura and Slayer and all that. So a little bit later, man. You, you, you know, you really appreciate it though. Like I said, when you have that historical knowledge of the uh, how much pioneers these guys were, just in terms of recording and and. Uh, taking metal and taking rock music somewhere that it had never been
2: before, you know, in the in the late 70s and early 80s. Absolutely. But yeah, Possessed. Absolute legends. They are still legends. They're doing their thing. Jeff Becerra, uh, he's still doing some great vocal work. Um, if you guys aren't aware, he was involved in an incident. I don't know the exact details, but he was shot at. And uh, he's now paralyzed. And he, yeah, he can't play bass anymore while he's doing his... Uh, his vocal thing, he's, uh, you know, paraplegic. But he goes up there on stage and just rocks like anyone else, man. Like, it's uh, it's, its awesome. This guy, uh, I watched a few interviews with him, and he's just, like, he's just metal and genuine down to the core. He just wants people to have a good time and thrash out, you know? Well, good for him, man. That's awesome, man. It's great that he's still,
0: still alive and doing it, man. Absolutely. picked it especially because this is the uh, Mortal Decay episode and they have kind of connections to uh, Mortal Decay you heard Joe Gordon mention In Satanity before so my pick is the In Satanity 1996 album Divine Decomposition which came out on Unisound Records Uh, this is a band that's had a lot of lineup changes over the years they're still around to this day they've been around for a very long time since the early 90s but this album is from what I like to call uh, my, my personal opinion as a fan the golden era of the band um, when they had the Reverend Mark Rokar on vocals. Very interesting, unique man. Nowadays, um, he's kind of a very interesting um, like public speaker, media personality. He's got a lot of very interesting, uh, unique, I guess, kind of spiritual philosophies. You might want to look him up, man. He's, he's, a, he's a strange cat. But uh, the Reverend Mark Rokar, um, he was part of the Church of Satan. Uh, and very into Satanism at the time that In Satanity was around uh, with him in it. And he was actually... These guys got flack because when this album came out, they promoted it with uh, the corpse paint on their face, like all the Norwegian bands were doing at the time. But these guys were stylistically a lot more death metal. They had a little bit of black metal in their sound, but it was really a lot more American brutal death metal. And Mark Rokar's vocals are some of the most guttural, brutal vocals you're going to hear for this time period. Uh, He was well ahead of his time. And especially for the kind of more blasphemous black metal uh, atmosphere that, that they were that they had about the band, for him to have these guttural vocals was a little out of place. But it sounds great. Um, production's kind of raw, but again, this is just that good old '90s brutal death metal. People, uh, they did a split CD with Immortal Suffering from New York in the late '90s after the release of this, and I thought that was a good pairing because they just have that. New, even though they're from uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, they have that. New York East Coast kind of you know down down tempos uh, 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 breakdowns and then the more suffocation style pickup parts. Uh, I really am a big fan of this band, particularly this era, because as you go through the eras, they have different sounds well, with the different lineups. And um, the the guy who played bass on this particular record, I, I hope I'm, I hope I'm saying his name uh, Chris Lytle. I hope I'm saying his name right or Chris Little. Uh, he's also in a band called Polterchrist. With Nick and uh, Ed, who played on Mortal Decay's Cadaver Art album. And Joe Gordon of, of Mortal Decay was uh, also in uh, Poltergeist for a period of time, as he was talking about. So was it a-
2: Monty also in that? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ma- I, yeah.
0: yeah I missed Monty. You're right. Yeah, so this- he did.
2: He did his uh, thing with Mortal Decay, and then now he's in Malignancy. Just fantastic bass player.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love to have him on the show uh, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this, so this album is great, man. Satanity, Divine Decomposition, one of my favorite. Uh, slept on albums from that era of the mid 90s and for anyone who's a fan of like you know your you know your morpheus descends and uh your torture crypts and your you know just all all those uh you know kind of upstate new york and and new york city and east coast brutal bands of the mid 90s this is something you don't want to sleep on or miss they're right up there with like i said uh scattered remnants or burial or any of those old timers man so in satanity check them out
2: Got a good bop to it right now.
0: Yeah, man, uh, they break it down, man. They do it New York style, you know. I don't know what the corpse paint was all about, but you know they were. I love corpse paint. Yeah, Everyone yeah, should just fun.
2: constantly be wearing corpse paint. It's all fine. I don't care. I don't. I don't discern as as hard between my uh, my genres, nor do I uh, the garb that goes along with it. <laughs> If I put on corpse paint, people might mistake me for a panda
0: bear furry. <laughs> that's, well, that's why I'm not into it.
1: Back when uh, back when Tom and I were playing, we had many people walk out on us because we were wearing corpse paint. <laughs> yep. <based. laughs>
2: yeah, our, uh, Visually, we didn't make a lot of sense, but we, we had a lot of fun. That's, we were in nice button-down shirts and corpse paint. And uh, hearing vocals like this and music like this, <laughs> you wouldn't assume corpse paint. But no. there's got to be a charm to it, man. Yeah, you know, okay. there's, you know, it might not, it not might not be for you, but well, was- they didn't stick with it long.
0: <laughs> but that promo photo is still out there if you
2: want to look it up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> nah. All right, hell yeah. So, uh,
0: all right. So, in satanity, divine decomposition. Man, look, we talked about old shit. We talked about new shit. We talked to Kelly, uh, formerly of Mortal Decay, we talked to Joe of Mortal Decay. Um, I I know
2: I learned a lot this
0: episode, hopefully you guys did too.
2: I do, man. I love this shit.
0: Yeah, man. So Heavy Hole Podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hit him with that uh that Twitter and all that. Yeah, you can find us at Heavy Hole Pod on Twitter. And I believe we'll have an Instagram, also Heavy Hole Pod. Mm-hmm. But I uh, can't mark my
1: words just yet because we're in a basement. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, And well, the accounts are free. We'll probably have. Them.
0: Well, all, uh, all that shit will be on Facebook and Twitter or whatever. You'll you, you have it at your fingertips nowadays.
1: That's right, and that's about wraps it up. Justin, you want to plug anything? I like to plug the Heavy Hole Podcast. Oh, cool! You can find us on Twitter at Heavy Hole Pod and nice. uh, Instagram at Heavy Hole Pod.
0: That's what we needed. <laughs> all right, thank you.